And I am here to discuss Spectre with Christian Minstaski. Minstaski is not a person. Minstaski is a place. And with our Spectre tagline, can't wait for this, Kelly Wand. License to shill. Mm, no, sorry, Kelly Wand, too easy. What else you got? <laughs> James Bond, Age of Ultron. Thanks right. for stealing my over. Okay, what else you got? <laughs> Tom... <laughs> Tom Cruise wins this one. Oh, very good, Kelly Wand. All right, I will. I will definitely endorse that. Yeah, a hit, a very palpable hit. Nice. I got one more. Uh, oh, geez, you probably should have quit all your head. Okay, what is it? Go ahead. It's like Fear the Walking Dead, but with one zombie. Yeah, I think he really should have stopped with that. Yeah, seriously. Really, Tom Cruise wins this one. The money. You in uh, TV for your last one? Yeah, that was really disappointing. Always stay with the penultimate. <laughs> well, the movie's a commercial. Shouldn't I go to? Hmm. Sounds hey. to me like you've uh, you've revealed what you feel about the movie, yeah. Kelly Wan. But hold that thought, Kelly Wan, and why don't you pit me and Dingus against each other in a battle of wits? All right. <laughs> that sounds pretty entertaining because it's yeah. such an even match. <laughs> Very good. Wait, a knit and a dim. Wait, which one am I? Is that what you're going to say? Wait, you said it was an even match, right? Yeah. So, Dingus, he either complimented both of us or insulted both of us. Notice that you were the more offended. You hear that, Dingus? Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. This is going better than I was even hoping in this battle. <laughs> it's... Well, let's escalate it with a contest. Go. <laughs> What's the contest? What are we doing? Oh, you read us. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Read us a synopsis, and whichever one uh, of us, me or Dingus, <laughs> guesses the movie first, Wins the Battle of Wits. Whichever one guesses the Mariah Carey movie first wins. <laughs> I'll leave it out in the character's name because it's a spoiler. Ah. Uh-huh. That's a clue. Really? That's your hint. Yeah. I See, I took from that Im- the, the necessary information for me to win. All right. So I choose Hancock then. Oh, damn. I choose uh, JFK. <laughs> I will now begin reading words. Lincoln. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that would have been, yeah, I wish I'd done that one. <laughs> That's a good one, Tom. I like that. There's other people alive besides presidents who aren't alive. All right. Blank, wow. Blank is again called out of retirement when his old boss finds that he seems to have missed three minutes while golfing with the president. Blank finds that the president's been replaced by an actor. Dave. Oh, Dave. Oh, shoot. No. Shoot. Then Blank finds that a group of women have banded together to take over the world through subliminal brainwashing oh. in beauty salons. There. Mars Attacks. Oh, shoot. It's that uh, that uh, Stepford Wives thing. Stepford Wives. It's a spy movie. Oh, shoot. Uh, the, oh, kiss the girls and let them die. Make them die. Kiss the girls and something That's they die. That's a spy movie? Isn't it? Kiss the girls and <laughs> let them die is a make movie. Them die. Kiss the girls and let them die. Do you not know that movie? Seriously? Hell, it's just called Kiss the Girls. It's one of those many James Patterson, Ashley Judd, 
No, no, it's a trippy spy movie from that I remember seeing as a kid, which has this really like freaky ending. Well, freaked me out where somebody gets trapped in a rocket that shoots into space. What? And I remember thinking, oh god, what would happen if that was me? Like, ew. <laughs> this girl's was a James Patterson crap movie. Well, maybe no, that's it's the girls yeah, make them die or let them die is, a, is this this trippy spy movie from it's got to be the sixties or seventies. It might even be British. I think you're fucking up the first word since I'm having trouble finding. No, you're right. Is it make them die or let them die? What's the it's verb? Make them die. Make them die. Yeah. Wow, that's a thing. Yeah, you bet it's a thing. Holy it's cow! Not, it doesn't have anyone in it we've ever heard of. Mike Connors, Dorothy Praveen. Oh, Dorothy Praveen, yeah. It's a spoof of spy movies. Oh, does it say it's a spoof? Because I remember seeing it as a kid thinking it's totally serious. In the spoof of spy films, CIA agent Kelly is in Rio de Janeiro spying on a wealthy industrialist, David Ardonian, who secretly plans to turn the world sterile and repopulate it with his harem. That part didn't scare you. Only the rocket. UK spy Susan Fleming helps Kelly. <laughs> That's <awesome. laughs> Well, who wouldn't help Kelly if you could? The nationality or the fact that she helps. So I guess what I'm hearing from you, Kelly Wan, is that my guess was incorrect. No, mine was in, like, Flint, starring comedy legend uh, James Coburn. I never would have gotten that one. Dingus, would you you have gotten that one? No way. I thought – I I didn't know in, like, Flint was a comedy. I I figured from the – I think he's joking. From the book. What? Oh, right. There's – I didn't – I guess there was a lot of spy move, spy spoof movies. Was it really in like Flint? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was a. I thought that was in earnest because it looked so serious on the book cover. Isn't there a book? Isn't there like a novel like, of it? Yeah. Maybe, but the Matt Helm movies are, or the Matt Helm books are serious, and the movies are all wacky. Like Kelly, one, I think you your your sense for whether or not a spy movie is serious might be off. <laughs> not at this. All right. Well, you watch it like Flint, or even look at the poster for it. He has like a moth. He has like a waterbed that turns into a swimming. Let pool. me t- let me give you a test, Kelly Wand. Bubble bath. Did you feel that the 2015 movie Spectre was a spoof? Mm, no. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Because that's that's one that could really throw you for a loop. I'll tell you that much. No, but never. Spoiler, by the way. Yeah. How about this means war? Is that a spoof? Uh, it's, not a spy it's, a, it's a romantic, yeah, it's a rom, it's a spy com, a rom com, spy com. I like, yeah. I like the word spy com. Stick with that, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right, so it was a, it was a draw. Although yeah. I came up with a discussion of the more interesting movie. Dingus wanted to talk about some James yeah, pop boiler. I brought up a freaky, uh, and there's like super sexy chicks, by the way, in Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die. All right, done and done. It, in any spy spoof, he's, that's the thing they don't. Parody is like that. This the hot girl is not hot. Well, James Coburn is hilarious in Hudson Hawk. I'll have you know. He's in that. Yeah. Also, he plays the director of the CIA. Yeah, not a spoof. Totally serious movie, by the way. Hudson. Oh yeah, yeah. It's totally in earnest, and that's why all of the CIA officers are named after candy bars. Well, I think it's just bad. It's in earnest, but it's bad, which is why it's funny. Speaking of bad, this movie, bad, bad earnest movies are also not spoofs. What did we see, speaking of uh, movies that aren't funny but are bad and therefore funny, what did we see this week, Dingus? All right, well, this week we saw Spectra, hmm. a 2015 Eon Productions action-adventure thriller James Bond spy movie that isn't about Ugh. chasing a hard drive and recovering a knock list. It's one of the Supremacy of Information ones. It was directed by Sam Mendes 
and was written by John Logan and Neil Purvis and Robert Wade and Jez Butterworth. Ha ha. Based on characters by Ian Fleming. Don't you ha ha Jez Butterworth just because of that one movie. I know you're uh, a big fan of Black Mass and Edge of Tomorrow, Dingus. Edge of Tomorrow rocks. Hmm. Yeah, it does. Uh, I agree with Dingus. It stars Daniel Craig, Rafe Fiennes, Ben Wishaw, Rory Kinnear, Christoph Waltz, and Naomi Harris. Spectra is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of action and violence. <laughs> Some disturbing images, sensuality, and language. I'd like to add a couple. Go right ahead. Burnt, pho- burnt photographs, uh, computer-generated dancing, using a plane as an ice skate, and incomprehensibility. Uh, America loved uh, Spectre. Number Love one it. movie. Yeah, the made, world loves it. Made seventy-five million uh, here in the U.S. Uh, handily beat the Peanuts movie. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, on Metacritic, Spectre. Well, Skyfall was eighty-one on Metacritic. Spectre, sixty. It's the average that's, rating from various reviews. That's still way too high. Well, Kelly, one, what do you think of this Rotten Tomato average? So the average, so the, not average. The Rotten Tomato rating is the percentage of reviews that are positive. Uh, Skyfall, ninety-three percent. It even beats the Hallowed, ninety-two percent. Even better than that. Uh, Spectre on Rotten Tomatoes, sixty-two percent of all reviews are positive. Kelly Wand, what do you think Ooh, of that? Wow. I uh, for sure. I yeah. Usually, you go to like the one negative review and go, "Hmm, curious what their case is." But in this, I actually want to read the positive reviews and just go, "Why are you?" <laughs> two yeah, out of three. If you were just, worried, I was going to be an outlier here. If you were to just randomly read three reviews, Kelly Wand, two of them would would recommend Spectre. Yeah, so who are these people? I was trying to read, like, a review of um, something, and it's like every word – there were so many misspellings in it, and it was like Forbes or Time, like their website. It's like Flare. It was like F-L-A-R-E instead of A-I-R. It's the kind of thing that gets figured into the Rotten Tomatoes. That's what I'm saying. Like those – that's where your 60 comes from, just idiots. So are we part of that? Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes rating? No, we are not. Yeah. So what, there you, you go. You think Wait, somebody listens to this yet. podcast and tallies, okay, how many of them liked it? How many of them didn't? Let's figure that into the percentage on Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. We have less credibility than those people. <laughs> what was Kelly's opinion at the beginning of the podcast? What was his opinion at the end yeah, of exactly. the podcast? How do you tally that? Did Tom and Dingus bring him around or not? You know, did he hold out? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, Everyone, speaking of holding out, I want to, I have not heard from you yet, and I am oh, so looking forward to this. Thank you. The Spectropsis, because what else can you call it, right? Nothing. I know. They didn't mm. give you a lot to work with, not even with the no. Yeah. The second I heard the title, I, that was the first tremor I felt of like, wait, that's the whole title of the James Bond. Oh, but Bond. come on, doesn't it? Like, it's this, the shadowy organization. I was totally on board with the title. I mean, it's, No, I know, but they all have, like, weird titles except this. That's what I'm saying. Like, Skyfall's even weird. Skyfall, right. You wonder, what's that? Yeah, like, You're right. What's up? Yeah. Exactly. And, it's, and Skyfall sounds a little Ian fleming and I think it is. Like, it's just it's some really obscure Ian Fleming. Well, I remember going into it and thinking, that's not going to make any sense. Yeah. What kind of dope? It's like another Quantum of Solace. What kind of dopey name is this? And it totally does, yeah. God, it is well, such a pleasure solace. to discover the name. You know, it, it's such a pleasure watching Let's Skyfall discovering the name. 
Well, Dingus, we discover the name Inspector. Leah Sidhu or whatever her name, you know, that's that's it's a big moment, Dingus. That is, that is a good point when she discovers what Hydra is. Oh, stop. All right. No more. Uh, Let Dingus yeah. talk before the offices. Kelly okay. <laughs> Wan, now that you're going to be drawing jokes Dingus made and putting them into your opsis, why don't you read it to us? Give it to us. The way Spectre absorbs things with its tentacles. Is that how that works? Mm. I don't know. Speculopsis. It's... No. No. Stop trolling, Tom Chick. It's too difficult. Spectropsis. Some words are all. The dead are not the living. Nietzsche. Some more words are all. Mexico City. Mexico Country. A bunch of CG extras vaguely gyrate wearing skull masks. The James Bond nerd sitting beside me is all. That's a reference to Live and Let Die's Baron Sabaty, the 70s black guy laughed at everything because he was addicted to 7-Up. <laughs> I got most of that, Kelly Wan. That was good. I roll my eyes and retort tartly. Sabaty was a count. Suddenly, I notice it's Grace Jones. I'm all, hey, I almost liked how different your James Bond character in View to a Kill was from your Conan character and also from your Susan Powder character. She's all, who doesn't want to watch me in bed with Roger Moore? Back in the opening seconds of something I've been looking forward to for months, the camera's all, look how big this fake crowd is. One of the skulls dressed like Zorro takes a Latino lady into an elevator. She whispers inaudibly, I really want you to put something hot and hard in my mouth. He gives her a cigarette instead. They go into someone's hotel room. She gets on the bed to have sex and goes, why are you changing into a tight white tuxedo? He's all, it's just what I like to snipe in, baby. Believe me, it's not easy. He takes off the skull mask and his face looks exactly the same. (laughs) But the James Bond music plays. Oh, shit. It's him. She's all, where are you going? He's all, I'll pretend you asked me name, which is Bond. James Bond. Bond is your first and last name? That's creepy. You really get laid saying that? Speaking of which, I know I kind of led you on just now when you thought I was a skeleton, but I really just needed you as a cover to make me ride in that elevator look more natural in case anyone's watching, which hopefully isn't the case. Instead, fuck up this next phase of me mission. Me walk back across the street, across the roofs. I really need a map. Tried to ask for directions down in the street, but the music was too loud. She's already gone. She bailed right as he started talking. <laughs> so he uses uh, <laughs> so he uses parkour to open the window, and then trips and stumbles out of it. And then he sashays along some roofs in his tuxedo while everybody cheers themselves below. James Bond finds a ledge with a gun on it and bends down, tearing his tuxedo and squints through the scope at three dudes through a window three feet away. He can't hear them for a few minutes. Then he picks up an earpiece by his foot and puts it in the right puts it in the right hole, just as one of the guys goes. And that's the vital information that could save billions of lives if James Bond had happened to hear it. <laughs> Another of them's all, hey, look, there he is staring at us through the window, like three feet away. Tuxedo. James Bond's like, fuck, tries to hide behind the sniper scope. The terrorists are all, hey, where'd he go? <laughs> he tricks them by shooting them, but not. But the one guy is there to kill retricks him by not getting shot and then by running away. 
They chase in a series of non-tracking shots and chase through a building, onto a couch, through a crowd, up a building, onto a landing pad with a helicopter on it. James Bond tricks the three dudes in the helicopter once it's flying by kicking them. Well, pilot turns it upside down and tries to shake him out like loose change. The difference is that loose change is shiny. Below the out-of-control helicopter, a couple CG members of the crowd make CG noises. But don't run while the music's all, James Bond might still fall to his death right here, even after all that. Some members of the crowd catch the falling terrorists, so James Bond can chase them some more. But eventually they explode. James Bond survives crashing in a plummeting helicopter by pulling back on the throttle. That's what he does. Last second. Pulls back. He smirks cockily. Stupid whirlybird. I was born upside down. Instead of going back to fuck the cigarette girl, he stares at a ring with a squid on it. <laughs> Turns into a song about nothing. And sex with squids. James Bond goes back to London to report the success of his costume change. His boss is Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes angrily slams down a bunch of newspaper headlines. One's all, James Bond declared savior of helicopter. (laughs) Another one's all, Ralph Fiennes irritated. Ralph Fiennes all, damn it, 007, now we're at war with Mexico. That wasn't your mission till next week. With all due respect, sir, I don't take orders, sir. Besides, those so-called terrorists are going to blow up a stadium full of 1,200 people. I nearly took out 120,000 in that courtyard. You do the math. That's another of my weak points. Ralph Saul. By the way, there was a train bombing in Hamburg. <laughs> That's Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, James. <sighs> the actor Ralph Fiennes, British actor, is all. By the way, there was a train bomb. <laughs> One guy in my audience stands up and goes, whew. To fit in, I start chatting USA, but they can't pronounce the hyphens. A character walks on screen. He looks at Ralph, us, and James Bond and goes, I'm here to shut down the IMF. I mean the double O program. Wait, I thought Bond worked for my six. He walks off screen. Ralph's all, <laughs> see what jolly burden with skeletons gets us? Now we're in for a chicken in every pot. Just for that, you suspended without pay till the plot calls for it. He makes a fist and hits his desk. James Bond's all, that'll be all, sir. The character comes back on screen and goes, uh, My name's Gary, by the way. I represent them. <laughs> God damn it! He comes back on screen and goes, My name's Gary, by the way. I represent bureaucracy. James Bond's all, I think I'll name you four. No one cares, so he leaves. Like, Christ, money penny, why you got to sneak up on me like that? James, you're in a woman's restroom stall. Yeah, well, let's disagree. James, the whole agency's talking about how you and Ralph finds office behind closed doors and no one could hear what either of you were saying. She holds up a charred cardboard box and goes, here's some leftover clues from the last movie. He's all, same old money, Penny. Bring it by me house tonight at nine. I don't care what you already have going on. She's all, oh, I could just hand it to you right now. But he's already shut the door of the stall on her. <laughs> That night, okay, here's your box. Bye. Wait, hang on. (laughs) 
I really brought you here to make you watch a video. Oh, James, I told you. The gray's so idiotic. He clicks a button. On his TV, there's video of him in the women's restroom. Money Penny screams. He's all, whoops, sorry, it's cold in there, right? Right. Now, here's another video, similar. He clicks to a video of Judy Dench. Judy Dench is all, James, if you're watching this, my character's dead and you've been ransacking my panty drawer as expected. Kill someone named Peter Johnston in Mexico and have sex with his widow. I'll explain later. James stops the video and stares at Money Penny. Money Penny's all, wow. Wait, why'd you show me? He doesn't know either, so she leaves. James Bond goes to Q's garage, where Q makes him sit in a needle chair. There's two needle chairs in that movie. Two helicopters. Q's all, this might sting a little. Nanotechnology's gigantic. James Bond's all, ah, fuck! Q's all, I didn't stick the needle in yet. Ten minutes later. Bond, you awake? Who cares? I hate this role. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> Anyway, I just injected you with a locator microchip like veterinarians give cats, which in this film are like nanotechnology. <laughs> the British Paul Reiser character told me to do it. It tells them where you are. Good. Now, I need you to pretend you didn't just inject it into me. And if Ralph calls and asks you why I'm in Austria, you lie and tell him his monitor's broken. Oh, I also need a car. Okay, here's one. There's a commercial for an Audi. <laughs> but your product placement's over here. He hands James Bond a wristwatch. James Bond's all, what's it do? Q's all, tells the time, twice a day. He blinks as the Audi starts up with James Bond in it. So long, asshole. Oh, also, get on the internet for me and tell me what this crackerjack ring does. James Bond throws the ring at him, flips him off, and drives the cool car from London to Rome somehow. <laughs> He had to have that car for that trip, like the trip. That's where the funeral for the guy he killed in Mexico is at for some reason. <laughs> Everybody at the funeral is wearing a suit and sunglasses since Monica Bellucci was in The Matrix. <laughs> Thanks for taking me over. I took both years. That's my under, Dingus. Dead gummit. Gummit. Uh, it's going to be hard to come up with new overs for Spectre, isn't it? One guy starts to smell James Bond, starts to turn around to look at him, but loses interest and doesn't turn around. Monica Bellucci song. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. My husband and I were married until he was killed by this Secret Service idiot over here in a helicopter because he's an even worse sniper than Moneypenny. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> At least she hit the right guy. <laughs> My husband and I were possibly close. It's hard to tell from anything that's going on. Bond clears his throat and walks up to her. He's all, I don't know if this is a bad time, but I tore this squid ring off your husband before I kicked him out of the helicopter. What's it do? It goes around your finger. Wrong. It doesn't fit. I tried them all and a few other of my appendages. That's why I'm limping a bit. So what's with the squid? They are our wedding ring. See, we were married at Marineland. It's a custom among my people. The only custom. Right, thanks. See you later then. Oh, shit. Yeah. What about this identical black squid ring I got off his other finger? Bellucci turns paler. 
She's all. We must never speak again. Meet me at my house later. It's a secret. I will tell you. Goodbye. Hello. She walks around in circles, leaves the courtyard, followed by her retina, the 30 sunglass guys, then back the other way, also followed by them. Uh, she's just on the fence. James Bond looks over at the wooden crucifix. He's all, I know how you feel. That night he stalks Bellucci home. She walks out to stare at a pool, flanked by two dudes with guns. Bond shoots both of them in the head and goes, Roy, you're welcome for that. Now that I've proven I can keep you safe from assassins, give me some more exposition about me ring. She's all, those were my bodyguards, you idiot. He's all, shush, baby. He gently puts a finger in her nose. This isn't a badass. Now, ordinarily, I turn me nose up at birds me own age, but since you're Monica Bellucci, I'll make an exception. But just remember, the longer your exposition, the longer our sexual intercourse. It's called Hydra. I mean, Spectre. Dingus. Sorry. <laughs> They're meeting at the Marriott tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Double seven seconds later, and that's how we do it back in England. Uh, Did you even... What, and stain me white tuxedo? Right, I'm off to go spy on Spectre at the secret board meeting. I promise to do my best to keep you alive unless I meet someone younger I also need to keep alive. He drives to the Evan Marriott, then parallel parks for a few minutes while the James Bond theme plays. When he walks up to the porch, two muscle-bound guards wearing squid masks scowl and bar his path. James Bond's all, easy there, Palomari. I believe faking one of these would be impossible. He sticks his middle finger in the guard's face. He's all, uh, pretend there's a black ring with a squid on it. That you haven't seen me face recently splashed all over newspapers in connection with the Mexican helicopter. The guard's all, go right in. James Bond goes into a crowd room where a bunch of CG guys in suits are all standing around staring at nothing. A woman at a long conference table in the orchestra pits all. So if there aren't any more questions about the ghost dimension, we'll move on to our next item. A replacement Mexican stadium exploder has been found for Monica Bellucci's husband following his unfortunate helicopter accident thanks to that idiot standing by the railing up there. Skip? <laughs> Would you like to say a few words about your new position? A character comes in, sits down at the far end of the table, then stands up and gestures to hold the applause, even though nobody's applauding. <laughs> He's all, thanks, guys. Nice tie there, Javier. What is this, boiler room? It's prices, right? <laughs> JK, JK. Whew, tough room. My wife told me no jokes, but I was all, what? <laughs> anyway, I just want to say thank you all for your support, for believing in me, and especially thank my whole team. Donna, you're my rock. Phil, what's with all the creep cheese? And also my lovely wife, Vicky, just found out we have a new addition to our family on the way. And um, it's just, it's really, it's really an exciting time for me. And I'm really excited about the future of organization and what I can bring to the table. So thanks again. Really looking forward to just getting started and steering this shit in the right direction. And be sure to check out some of the cheese balls in the lobby. My wife and I, well, she did the real work. But yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you all. He sits down. The secretary's all. I probably should have asked this before, but does anyone else here want this position? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a wrestler with fingernails <laughs> Frankenstein walks forward Christoph Waltz is all and what are your credentials for blowing up stadiums 
The wrestler picks up the first guy by the head, wrenches it off, claws his eyes out, then eats him, then sits down again, farting. The secretary whispers to Christoph Waltz while he covers the microphone for a second. Then he's all, um, yes, by credentials we meant actual credentials, like a resume or a link to your explosion portfolio. By the way, James Bond's here. Kill him. James Bond sits I'm making it sound better than it was. Thank you. That part was in the trailer, by the way. James Bond. James Bond tricks the 300 trade assassins surrounding him by running away. Then he tries to find where he parked. Back in London, Ralph Fiennes is on the phone with Q going, Look, I can see right here on my screen he's in a car chase and roll. I can see right here that you're on a sky tram to Austria. Q's all, yeah, that's all wrong. Uh, none of my stuff works. I'm like Simon Pegg's character, <laughs> including stones. <laughs> Connection bad. Uh, gotta go. <sighs> what an asshole. Wish I could hang up on him again. Wait, shit. Sir, you still there? Ralph Fiennes hangs up in disgust. The Paul Reiser character walks in and puts some files on his desk. He's all, these are some new plans we'd like you to institute going forward. Ralph Fiennes is all, this just says you're promoted. Whoops, shit, that one's mine, sorry. Here you go. This one says you're fired. Damn it, sir, I like James Bond suddenly. He's more man than we'll ever be. Ralph Fiennes tears up a little. He knows the greatest blessing of all. When not to kill. I throw up in my mouth a little and go out to the lobby. I show the usher my ticket stub, explain that I bought a ticket for a James Bond movie. <laughs> find his quote. I reenact the shooting thing from the credits. James Bond, you know, Bond. James Bond. She assures me I'm in the right auditorium, so I walk shaken, not stirred, back to my seat. James Bond's now in a car chase, going down some steps and through some expensive streets. There aren't any passers-by, CG or otherwise. Eventually, James Bond gets bored, drives his car to the ocean, and hits a button on his dashboard that says off-screen. <laughs> <laughs> While the guy's chasing him, forget to look, he floats out of his car into the air off-screen and eventually lands in front of the camera and walks off while the James Bond theme plays. Nothing in the newspaper about that. He takes a tracking shot to Austria and finds a basement with an old man in it. He's all, I'm here to learn. The old man's all, yeah, yeah, squid ring. Look, if you want exposition, go see my daughter. She's a fucking psychologist or some shit. She's great at it. Just give me your word you'll have sex with her. James Bond takes out his gun and puts it on the table. Just shoot me now. I can't play this role anymore. You see, it all started back when I was an orphan at Skyfall. The old man takes the gun and shoots himself through the chin while the James Bond theme plays. Some words are all, a hot blonde psychologist's office on a mountaintop. James Bond's all, you must be your father's daughter. Have the same chin before the gunshot, obviously. Same rack also, although his were a bit lumpier. Plus, they had to use me hands. I do not think I enjoy you. Bond, James Bond. Now, come on. Take me into your office. I made a promise to your father. She takes him into her office, sits across from him and goes, My father always said my psychological tests were idiotic, but say Matt LeBlanc. In the desert, you come across a tortoise on its back. I'd have sex with it. Wait, what's a tortoise? You know what a turtle is? Not really. Same thing. 
Gotcha. Now, what's a desert? You know what a rock garden is? Yes. Same thing. Uh, I roll for secret doors. Excuse me. Look, enough about you. I promised your dad I'd keep you alive. His response was to shoot himself. <laughs> I guess that was a yes. But to prove how good I am at keeping me bitches from getting shot, he takes out his gun, slides it across the table to her. It goes off, shooting her in the arm. Oh, shit. Okay, this interview's over. Jesus. He sees the wrestler and some other guys with guns standing nearby watching them. <laughs> Damn it, Smekta. Come on, it's a good thing I have a plan this time. A bunch of stuff involving an airplane happens. <laughs> Later. <laughs> well, here we are in Tangiers. Same hotel your parents conceived you in, if that does anything for you. Just because I am drunk and vulnerable, do not think I will just fall into your arms, Mr. Bond, without vomiting. Trust me, after blood, everything makes a better lubricant. But suit yourself. Sex with use me second choice anyway. I was just going to stay up and shoot rats. She rolls her eyes. They stay rolled since she passes out. When she wakes up, he's punching a hole through the closet. This makes her like him. <laughs> the hole in the closet takes them to a train with a dinner car on it. He waits at a table while she ate. Sews a blue dress, then waits for him to look up so she can walk in slow motion down the aisle of the car while everybody else ignores her. James Bond makes the same scowl as usual, but she's all, You should not stare. That is not why I was this. James Bond's all, It's your fault I have a penis. He looks up at the waiter and goes, Speaking of which, I'll have the quiche Lorraine. Shaken, not stood. Hey, wait a second. You look vaguely familiar. It's the wrestler. He attacks them while everyone else on the train loses interest and bails. Luckily for James Bond, the guy forgets to use his fingernails. I look over at Vern Troyer sitting beside me and go, huh, never saw James Bond fight someone on a train before. James Bond tricks the wrestler by using his helicopter trick of kicking him out of the vehicle. Then he shakes the girl conscious again, brings her back to their private car and goes, damn, that wrestler from Smekta again. Guess you could say he got railroaded. JK, I guess I need to work on me when not to not kill. What should we do now? <laughs> they both take their clothes off and go to sleep while the James Bond theme plays. The train stops in the middle of the desert and they wait for the villain to send a car to pick them up. When it does, Bond tells us and the girl what the car's make and model is, since it will become quite pertinent. <laughs> Fans of 1948. Bob Spector. The car takes them to Christoph Waltz's computer factory, where he ties James Bond to a chair and sticks needles in his face and brain until James Bond decides that, contrary to what Q told him about his magic watch, it still probably causes explosions in his hand. <laughs> the factory explodes while James Bond says something like, Time flies! And then the only two of them who make it out, everybody else dies. Then James Bond's all. She's all. <laughs> the girl's all. <sighs> James Bond's all. It's almost over. Hang on. He takes her to London, where she's probably kidnapped, and they're soon both back in another exploded building while Christoph Walt watches from a helicopter. Yeah, another helicopter. James Bond picks her up and goes, do you trust me? She's all, is this really a possible time to ask that question? He jumps off the explosion and lands in a net instead of a couch. Then he finds a boat and shoots the helicopter down with a bullet from his pistol <laughs> by shooting it. 
Not throwing the bullet. Shoots the bullet. Pistol. Then when he tries to shoot Christoph Waltz at close range, he's out of bullets. He steals another car from Q and drives the girl in it God knows where while the James Bond theme plays. I look over at Christopher Nolan sitting beside me and go, it only takes one movie to break a streak, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I ran out of gas there. No, no, you did not. You had plenty of petrol. You know, I'm reading reviews of this movie that all say that the opening is the best Bond movie opening ever, and then the rest of the movie is not as good. And I don't even think that's true. I I think the opening, I was okay with that. Uh, Uh, The the opening is terrible. Oh, my God, the CG, uh, uh, the the green screen on that helicopter, even the idea of it. Oh, my God, it's horrible. No, I like it. I like the crowd stuff. I mean, the helicopter thing was stupid, but uh, I like the concept, and I like the the crowd shot. I like the. I only like that he did. I like I like the one long tracking shot. Um, I like that there is a crowd, and it is part of the plot. Like James Bond actually got photographed. Like something he did actually made the newspaper for once. Like that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, well, that yeah, that that's where it started. Like when we get us the the scene of. You know, the cop being summoned to his boss's office and taken off the force. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, seriously. And and throwing the newspapers down on the desk. And yeah, it's kind of cool that James Bond got in the newspaper. But seriously, like throwing down newspaper headlines. Of all the. And yeah. then him saying, I'm sorry, I'm taking you off the. Oh, my God. That was, the whole thing's like that. Like the squid ring. It's well, I see where it really, where I really first went, uh-oh, uh, is when he landed on the couch. Because that's the sort of thing that yeah, was in a Roger Moore James Bond movie. I yeah. Like, immediately at that point, I was like, oh, God, really? And they, and they held it a little long. Like, this is so hilarious. We want to make sure, we want to give the audience time to recover from yeah. the huge laugh. This is right, right, that. exactly. Yeah, like, there would be a laugh in the audience. That is actually a Hudson Hawk. Hawk joke that landing on the couch kind of I thing. I think it's that's not a that's a that's a, a joke joke. I mean, there's not, I don't think anybody can claim credit for. Ooh, how how funny would it be if you fell and you landed on something soft where you're supposed right. to normally sit? Ha ha. No Hudson Hawk came up with it. <laughs> it's a, they're ripping it off unintentionally. I think <laughs> is what's really happening. But when when uh, my first. Okay, the couch was like, I was like, well, maybe that's just, okay, it seems like a weird thing to follow up a tracking shot with, but okay. And then when he looks at the ring in the copter, I was first like, and then it goes into the credits, and I was like, wait, that seems a little... It's a little Frodo. Friends. Yeah, what? That seems a little too spot on. Well, I thought it was going to be explained. I mean, somewhat, my, a lot of my problem with this is the script really couldn't be bothered to make sense of anything. I mean, yeah. so many people in this movie, even even the cinematographer, by the way, which really irks me. This is the guy who shot uh, Let the Right One In, uh, Interstellar, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. There was no sense of, of that sort of craft going into the, the, the yeah. cinematography here. There's nothing um, here. Daniel no. Craig being just completely uninterested. Whatever he hates this was supposed to do. I mean, nobody seemed to be interested in the very basis of this. The script just had no desire to explain no. everything. So much stuff in the script was like, well, we'll make it happen just because. You know, we're not yeah. going to explain anything. Like, I was like, why does he care about the ring that he takes it? You know, what's it? Some, surely that's going to be explained or we're going to find out something. Nope, he has no idea what the ring is. Like, I thought it was like a Gandalf, knowing that the ring could be something. I mean... What are the, what are the implications of Christoph Waltz and him growing up together? That oh, winds that's up another thing that well, really bugs me, that this movie is this joyless, drawn-out, yeah. smug slog. And yeah. in the end, it has the nerve to retcon Skyfall. Yeah. I could yeah. not believe that we're supposed to buy... 
<laughs> Christoph Waltz just sort of merrily declaring, hey, everything that happened before, that was me. I did yeah. it. No, it wasn't that Waltz scare ever- misses. We're just going to be mad at being left behind by M. That's not why you wanted to kill her. Nope. I engineered everything. I mean, that was so yeah. cheap, and that's such a just-because kind of thing for the script to do. Is Yeah, we're just going to say, you know, this is this is the final word. Everything else, it all comes up to this. Why? Just because. Right. Oh, well, that would have been fine if they'd planned that from the beginning. But they the villain to a hey, me too. I didn't. I, you know, you did everything. No, me too. I did everything. I'm the reason everything happened. You know, the, I mean, Skyfall kind of caps it, even though it's this weird origin story kind of idea. And I think that they're trying to do a Spectre origin story here, and they're trying to to engineer that as far as the mythos of the James Bond idea, but it's very much a me too. It's like me too, me too, as far as the villain is concerned. That's just pathetic. What's the point of it being when you're in a helicopter of fighting the pilot? Like why don't you let the pilot land and kick his ass? I don't know what his plan is. Yeah, I was like, why are you wrestling with it? The guy's flying the helicopter, you're gonna get both of you killed. Just let him land or you know, put him in a, in a chokehold and threaten him. You know, you don't like fight, wrestle the pilot in a helicopter. You don't even have to put him in a chokehold. Just kick the guy out of the helicopter because the pilot's going to want to land the thing anyway. Right, that's what I mean. So, yeah, don't mess, yeah. don't mess with the pilot. He's got to right. fly the helicopter. You're an idiot for fighting the pilot. Yeah, that's why that whole first sequence makes no, absolutely no sense to me. And having right. watched Skyfall again, which has a brilliant opening, none of this makes any sense to me. And it, and it yeah, looks horrible. The CG is horrible. The the cinematography, and I'm glad you brought up cinematography, Tom, because there's nothing in this that holds a candle to Sky, the way Skyfall looks, obviously, because it's uh, – isn't it Roger Deakins who did Skyfall? And I didn't mind that. Like, I, I was sort of bummed that we weren't getting Roger Deakins again, but I didn't mind it being Hoyt Van Hoytema. I thought, oh, well, you know, we'll still – it's still Sam Mendes. He knows how to trust a good cinematographer. Hoyt Van Hoytema obviously knows what he's done doing. He's worked with other – uh, very opinionated directors and, and made his own stamp visually. Surely he'll be a great substitute for Roger Deakins, and at the very least, Spectre will look awesome. Right. And yeah, none of that. Nothing. No, you know, not a thing that looks good in this movie. I don't in think. reference to people saying it's the best opening, like in all the other Daniel Craig movies that I can think of, and I, just millions of examples come to mind, he was always a super resourceful Bond, and that's and like the opening sequence of Skyfall demonstrates that when he does that shit with the train and stuff, like he's just thinking on his feet and like in this he just lands on a couch, like that's the level, like that's how much we're supposed to cheer for. I don't James think he Bond. ever outsmarts anyone in this movie. No, like you never does. get the sense that he's engineered or created. Like that's again the script is all like just yeah. because we're just going to have him. It takes for instance, there's so many instances of this. Like he gets tied up with a zip tie, and he how is he going to escape? You know, normally you put a, the villain in handcuffs, and you uh, the, the hero in handcuffs, and the hero surreptitiously gets a paperclip, and he unfolds it, and he picks the lock on the handcuffs, and he gets off. He gets out of the handcuffs because lock picking is like esoteric. Nobody understands how that really works. So fine, you cheat that in a movie. Zip ties. Everybody knows how that works. You put a zip tie on something, <laughs> fuck, you can't get out of that unless you're James Bond, just because he can snap a zip tie. Like the movie was full of that yeah. stuff. And what's and the it- watch do? Well, so Q says the watch could make a very loud noise, and I thought, makes oh, a loud got, I thought, oh, it's got a, like a sonic thing. Yeah, that's like, it's going to hurt his yeah. ears. Yeah. So how is he going to get out of this, even just by hurting Christoph Waltz's ears? And no, I think we as the audience were supposed to realize it's going to blow up. No, the, the, the script yeah. can't even explain what the gadget no. is. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, and then it has to double explain to her what to do with it. 
because he because she as a European doesn't know what tepus fugit means. Because <laughs> he has to say tepus fugit. Time uh, flies. No, that's for the audience. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I know that's for us, but I, I, I mean, I remember my grandfather explaining that to me when I was ten years old. I mean, come on, script. If you, if how, you, it, how is it that Christoph Waltz knows that James Bond is at the meeting? Because that was so funny, Kelly. One is, how does Christoph Waltz know James Bond is at that meeting? Yeah, and his instincts never help him. If he has this superpower where he can just sense where James Bond is, and he also has a locator chip in him too, which also undercuts the first thing. Oh, I guess it's like he's got surveillance everywhere. I guess he's got surveillance. He sees him coming in. I'm assuming for that. How part, does like, James? How does James Bond get to get from uh, what What is her name? Dingus? Can you Leah Sedu? Is that her name? Yeah. How does he get from her office to an airplane? And the time that it takes the villains to throw her in a truck and drive away. Like the fact that he shows up in that chase in an airplane. Uh, I was like, well, wait, wait, really? Aren't you? Shouldn't we see somehow James Bond runs to the airport and he appropriates an airplane? Yeah. It's well, a plane like he flew in on. I mean, it's, it's at the airfield at their little, at their little complex. Okay. Oh, we saw him land in that. All right. Well, in that case, yeah, we saw him fly into the into that complex, which that whole sequence I didn't understand him even going there. But I, I understood that because the airplane is at the airfield at their complex. Why didn't he just get into a car to chase him down? Uh, because airplanes are faster than cars, I guess. Because that, unless, that, that, that... unless you knock the wings off, in which case oh. it's much like driving a toboggan, which I don't understand. That's whole thing. Was as ridiculous as Indiana Jones taking a life raft down the side of a mountain. Yeah. And Indiana Jones, at least like Pulp Fiction stuff, like like serial pulps like that, there, there's room for some kind of like humor and outrageousness. I guess there should be in James Bond, but that was so stupid. Is the the skating airplane that that seems indestructible and that he steers and I don't, well, then he acts. His acting is like like oh, am I going to make it? Am I going to like he's acting like this could actually like it could really happen. And so, well, it's Roger Moore kind of never gave a shit, really, and that was sort of made it work in a way. Yeah, yeah, well, sure, sure. Well, what is so incompetent about this is that even in that car chase, which should be very clear, I didn't even have a clear case, a, yeah, a clear right. idea of who's in You're what car. And when when the airplane crashes into the three cars and one of the drivers right. is knocked out, and which one isn't, and which car is she in, and which car She's which fine. Car is, <laughs> Sam Mendes hasn't even bothered to establish who's in what car and what which car is doing what. Yeah. And um and this movie is rife with this. And I mean even the the fight in the helicopter at the beginning which should be fairly straightforward. I can't tell what the fuck is going on. I can't tell yeah. anything that's going on in this movie and it's you know I I could talk about the act how inept the action sequences are all day long but yeah. for me most important are the fact that none of the relationships make any sense no. and and that really pisses <laughs> me off because relegating Naomi Harris to an administrative assistant role um, and keeping her there when obviously she's totally bored doing that and it totally wastes her talent to do that and then bring in this, this Leia Seydoux woman who I mean, she's been fine in a couple other things, fine, but she's terrible in this. She's not interesting at all. This whole I love you thing makes no sense. The relationship makes no sense, and that pisses me off. I had no idea when when uh, James Bond is at Christoph Waltz's, like, at those consoles 
where all those people are working. And at one point, and I didn't know what this was, they all stand up to watch the video of the old dude committing suicide. And James Bond was like, no, turn it off, turn it off. He totally freaks yeah. out. And I was like, wait, why? What? What's and it's, yeah, what's it's, supposedly, it's supposedly because he's so distraught over how it's going to upset this chick. Right. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's he's overreacting that much? Because right. he doesn't want her to see her father die. It's like he's so worried that's going to traumatize her. Like, because that, they're supposed yeah, to be in love, and that makes right. Yeah, they're about to die anyway. Like that's the least of her problems. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he totally flips out at her being emotionally distraught by seeing a, a picture of her dad committing suicide. I mean, no and that's sense. the most upset he gets in the whole movie. It really and is, Kelly Wand. Yeah, and, it, and I, by and the from way, the, earlier she's basically said, "Fuck that guy, my dad." Who, who, right. who cares about this? Exactly. Guy? Yeah. Uh, did his sunglasses look cool? Because they, they look to me like something an old lady would wear. Oh, they did look ridiculous. Forever. I didn't understand them, but Kelly's joke about the funeral, I didn't understand why anybody was – why he was wearing them. I mean, yeah. I don't understand why he's wearing them he's at this point. He's this undercover spy. Yeah, so he's, nobody recognizes him, Dingus. Yeah, no one uh, recognizes him. He's not going to tell him his name. Uh, my also, favorite costume choice, by the way, was Christoph Waltz not wearing socks. Uh, I kind of like that. I did too. I did too. That was the, that was the no, best. He was wearing socks. Weren't they just like bright, like flesh colored socks? Oh, in that case, I'm disappointed. I thought he was like bold enough to not wear socks with pants that short. It's a terrible, terrible costume choice. Whatever it is, when he's no, I like that. Come on, he's wacky. It's weird. It's way wackier than like Sam Jackson in, in Kingsman. I'm like, you know what? If you're gonna make <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna make a weird affectation, just be a dude who doesn't wear socks. I liked that. You saw Kingsman? Or no? Yeah, we all did. We did a uh, podcast with uh, Kelly yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, us. Do you guys find Octopi scary at all? No. I do. That's... I've seen tentacles. Kelly Wan obviously was not uh, impacted by tentacles as much as I was. I think uh... octopuses are awesome, and I was kind of a little hopeful at the weird, even though that song is terrible, uh, at that weird yes. opening with, like, the weird kind of sexy tentacle porny kind of stuff. I was like, ew, what is that? And the, the weird palette, the color palette they're using, and I'm like, oh, is this the tone they're setting for the movie we're going to watch? Okay, well, this seems different. Let's see where they go. And uh, Octopus is just the icon for Hydra slash Spectre. Arbitrarily, too. So, Dingus, like, do you find them silly, or what? Like, what's it's not like there's problem? eight things or anything. I, I just didn't find any of that, my, and I might have just been looking for excuses, but I, I, I found that opening song so grotesquely stupid. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I don't know who the hell that dude is. Sam, Sam someone, Sam Smith or something. It's, it's yeah. Sam Smith. He's and, probably hot with all the kids nowadays, Dingus. And, oh, fuck. You know, unfortunately, and, and this is something that I've kind of struggled with when I've been thinking about Spectre, is um, is Skyfall is just superlative. It's just, uh, it's just an incredible movie. I think it wound up on both of you guys' lists, uh, at least one of yours. Um, and that opening song. Uh, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. I, I watched Skyfall again this week, and that Adele song is beautiful. And there's this great tradition of of having a song that that kind of states the theme of the movie and gets a little bit obvious, but not too obvious. Um, and we we'll, we'll talk about another movie a little bit later in the podcast that has a song that does the same thing, um, but after the movie. Uh, but this this particular movie doing that whole writing on the wall thing. What's the, that mean? What I, I, I have no idea what, 
what what they're trying to do with it. I have no idea what most of the images mean. I I don't find any of the octopus imagery uh, the least bit sexy or the least bit scary or the least bit even. I, I mean, I guess it's slightly creepy. Yeah. But but that Skyfall stuff is amazing. It's 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 just this great thing where James Bond has disappeared into the murk because he's been shot off of this bridge and he's fallen off of a yeah. waterfall and he's being swallowed up and and it's it's thematic for the movie. I mean it's it's a right. great, it's a great song that understands the theme of the movie. I don't understand what this is about other than that writing on the wall moment where he goes into the the decrepit building and it is and, it, and somebody writes James Bond arrow go this way. I don't know what else writing on the wall is supposed to mean. Dingus, I would thank you not to bring up Skyfall in relation to this movie. I'd find we that. have to. No, no, different movies, different to. different people, entirely different people. The people who made Same this movie, writers? nope, nope. The people who made this movie have been re- replaced by talentless pod people. Well, I, I, you know, I think you're right, Tom, because I, I mean, I kind of felt bad about that because Skyfall sets an incredibly high bar, but I think that also it kind of caps the series. I, I don't think. I don't know that you need. Doesn't to. have to though. I mean, the people who who came and I was just being facetious. Of course, you have to look at this in relation to Skyfall, and that's it. Seems like what a lot of us did with our over under is, you know, a, a follow up from the same creative team that was bitterly disappointing. Uh, there, there are ways. Like I don't think you can say the problem with this. And I know you're not saying this, Dingus, but I, I just. I don't. I don't think there's any excuse for how crappy this is. And one of the excuses is not, hey, it's really hard to follow up Skyfall. Yeah, there are cool things they could do and give it a different tone. Like, yeah, yeah. Not, nothing excuses not how sucked. crappy this is. Yeah, yeah. And, and because the people who made Skyfall should know better. I mean, that's my takeaway. How yeah, do you guys do this? You of all people should know better. And I don't understand that. I don't understand how they went so far. I mean, even in in the way it looks, this movie is so dark and cramped. Well, you um, say that, Dingus, but I don't know if you guys caught this. The editing in this, by the way, is also terrible. Yeah, yes. I don't know if it was just me, but there were a lot of times that – and movies normally know better than this. It would go from a super dark scene to a super bright scene, and the, the people who make a movie know that the, the, the folks watching your movie are sitting in a dark room and are basically having a super bright light shined reflectively right into their eyes. Right. And you don't follow up an indoor scene with a bright white outdoor scene. And if this movie was constantly like making me squint, like did that did you guys catch that? Was that just me? Uh, I just assumed it was the movie making me squint. <laughs> right, like having to like stand My up problem against. was just not being able to I mean, and part of this is as as I looked at things, uh, the idea of the early ideas of showing um, Blofeld which is one of the names that uh, uh, Christoph Waltz gives himself, um, is that is, is not to show his face. That was one of the earlier ideas of it, even though it was like you'll, you'll only see his cat kind of a thing. Right. So that, that whole opening sequence at the, at the meeting, he's just in shadow, he's in shadow, he's in shadow, he's in shadow. Um, uh, so we I think know he's in the movie. Yeah, well, we know he's in the movies. No, we know he's going to show up. But I just don't think that the movie understands the interplay between light and dark the way that Skyfall does. Uh, and there, there's this moment in Skyfall, and again, you know, I kind of feel bad about bringing it up because it's, it's kind of like punching down, but there's this moment when he's driving M, when James Bond is driving M out through the Scottish countryside, and there's this huge, enormous, beautiful shot of that Scottish countryside as he's driving that uh, Aston Martin. Um, 
that there's nothing in this movie that even remotely is close to that. Uh, this movie just feels cramped and dark. And and a lot of what you're talking about, Tom, is absolutely right. There's there's not an understanding of how to go between light and dark because then we are suddenly going across this lake to go to this frosty villa. Why are we here? How did we get here? And how did we transition visually from the previous scene into this scene? I don't know. Angus, I'm sure you at least appreciated the music in this movie and the, the spare use of it and the composer. Oh, good God. <laughs> Are you guys James Bond fans at all? I, I feel like I'm the only one of the three of us. No, I don't know. But, but, so, Dingus, who was the composer on this? Oh, Jesus, I didn't even look. That Thomas Newman guy who did was oh, it it Black Thomas Mass Newman? that we talked about, the guy that did Black Mass. I mean, the guy where we complained about – I assume it was him. Uh, that was him. That was him from Black Mass, right, Dingus? I think you must be right, yeah. Uh, because we talked about the, the music and uh, – Actually, we've talked about this in a lot of different movies, but the music in this was awful. Uh, but and the Skyfall again, music was, was great, and Thomas Newman did the music in Skyfall. Yeah, well, there's – oh, I guess so. Fair enough. He didn't do Black Mass. What did we recently see where we were complaining? Oh, oh no, it was the Steven Spielberg thing. Oh, you're that right. That wasn't Thomas Newman. You're right. But I thought – I mean the, the music was all over the place, and it, like, it was constantly yeah. like, dripping with like, music that was uh, super – I couldn't hear the lines. It was so fucking loud. I didn't right. hear a lot of one-liners. I don't know what he said to her in the hotel room at the beginning. Uh, oh, right, right. She goes, where are you going? He says something like, I'll think, be gone. And I think he said, I'll, be, I'll just be five minutes. I think he basically said something about, I'll be right he back. He says, I'll be right back. Yeah. And and uh, that's that's another thing that totally not. bothers me about that. Is is that supposed to be sexy? Is there anything sexy about that? Yeah, I uh, no. Even his his moments with with Monica Bellucci, who I think is a very sexy actress, and and what one of the marketing points as far as like some of the media is that, well, she's the first fifty uh, year old actress to be a Bond girl. Well, okay, right. great. I mean, she's yeah. she's hot, but she's, her makeup is terrible, and there's nothing she's hot about it. anything because I don't think anybody's interested in doing anything in this movie. Nobody's interested in anything. Uh. He's and, definitely not. So, well, Kelly, you wanted to ask us if we were Bond fans. What, what do you want to ask? Well, I just want to say that, okay, it's bad enough that this movie comes out right after Mission Impossible and basically apes that movie's, like, ineptly rips off that movie's, like, story beats and just act, like, just its vibe, but poorly. But also, it's like, I'm noticing this trend and this whole nostalgia thing has got to go away. Like, just all these references in this movie to, like, the 60s Bond movies and those Spectre, like, Easter eggs, these all are just, like, replacements for, like, excuse, like, justifying why the present sucks. Like, if you just, like, Ash vs. Evil Dead's, like, one of the only good examples right now for me. But, like, all these other things that are just, like, throwbacks to stuff instead of original content. Well, because I kind of disagree, because that's a huge part of what made Skyfall work so well. Uh, no, it's the way both. It bal- is the, the way it did balance, like, recalling the early stuff right. about James Bond and the newer, like, hey, I'm a saber hacker villain stuff in James Bond. Right, but it improved on it, and it's like, I mean, it had, I don't know. Terminator it Genesis, had- by the way. Like, it's one of the few things I really enjoyed at Terminator Genesis is how it wanted to appeal to the nostalgia of, of the original Terminator. I mean, the problem, Kelly, one, is when you do it poorly, and that's... Right. Or it's all you have, and that's what I'm saying. Like Skyfall balanced it because it had other things going on in it, and it was like sort of a, wet, a fusion of styles. And in this, it's all nostalgia and just – I guess – Well, yeah. I mean I think the problem here is, is it's done poorly. Like I don't think there's inherently Spectre anything wrong felt. with appealing to 
you know, the source material or an original movie or uh, I just think it's when when it's this crappy. I mean, it just right. Spectre right. was a very night like Spectre and Rings with squids on them. Like that was a 1960s spy convention thing that we didn't necessarily need to see expounded on with a hundred million dollar budget. But I wonder though if they plan to update it though. Like it was this idea of because oh. that's what kind of excited me is you know James Bond is an isolated villain and what if we started doing some arc overarching storyline about a secretive shadowy organization. Um, because I, I would that's that's every James Bond movie though. But what shadow is isn't it just calling no, it just like a, a one mad villain trying to conquer or destroy the world, right? Like I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know my James Bond well enough, but I do know that's a trope in spy movies. Is you've right, got the good guy against the evil shadowy agency. Yeah, but Austin Powers was like 15 years ago, and that parodied it. And so then to just see it without jokes, won't, like, won't the new young audiences go, wait, it's doing Austin Powers without... <laughs> yeah, but I do think there's room in you know there's there are people who believe like 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 goofy fringe beliefs about conspiracies and like there's something kind of cool about hey what if it's all true what if there is a, right, right. a, a an Illuminati but it's still a guy with a cat it's the same thing like right. he's just the crazy guy that you're trans see the thing is like I at least got the cat reference I was like oh yeah Blofeld has a cat in his lap because um, I didn't think I didn't, I didn't know they were gonna do. I was like, wait a minute, isn't that a Blofeld thing? Why does he get the white cat? And later he says, oh, my name is Blofeld. Right, so if those movies are no longer canon. <laughs> oh, right, it... well, I, I do think that, uh, and that's why in the credits, you, you know, they're they're showing Mads Mikkelsen, they're showing um, Javier Bardem. Like, I mean, it's definitely retconning the new Bond. Like, this is, this is kind of clearly a reboot, I guess. Uh, where isn't, cause, isn't Casino Royale, like... Yeah, doesn't that also kind of reboot a bunch of Bond stuff? Yeah, they well, that's, yeah, the, that's the first. That's the first Daniel Craig. Right, right. right. And did they do that, Kelly? One, you would know this. Like when Roger Moore steps in for Sean Connery, like would they reboot stuff or were there's more? No, no, Roger Moore kills Blofeld at the end of Free or at the beginning of Free Your Eyes Only, so that sort of implies, oh, he's the same guy as the Connery okay. one. Well, isn't this year right? Because Casino Royale opens. That's one of the amazing things about Casino Royale is it opens with his the the opening credit gun barrel thing is like his first kill or his second one. I forget. Remember he has to make two to become double O and you see them both in the pre credit sequence. So it's like, he's obviously a new dude. Right. Right. Yeah. Even though he has the same M as Pierce Boston. Oh, is that true? Judy Dench was M in the Pierce. Yes. Boston. Oh, ouch. Okay. So see, there's always something kind of getting in the, in the way of it. Right. So it's almost like, so Judy Dench and Spectre therefore are part of the same universe because she's, she comes back from the dead in this to go, Hey, by the way, there's this thing called Spectre. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. And why would she care? And why would she tell me she, never mind. Yeah. Why did she bring it up earlier? Hello. Uh, That's what I'm talking about. Like when Leonard Nimoy was in the Star Trek movies, like that annoyed me. Right, it's like, right. but it's the same thing as when Judy Dench is in this. Like, Hey, remember you, you love her. She's better. back. Yeah. Cameo. Can it's I give just, you guys a, a good writing, bad writing quiz? Yes. I was hoping. All right, Dingus, we're going to start with you. Is this good writing or bad writing? These are lines from, uh, from Spectre. Dingus, here's, this, here's, here's the line. Good writing or bad writing? A license to kill is also a license not to kill. Dingus, is that good or bad? It's bad. Very good. Dingus, you have one point. Yes, because he's already what? said it in Skyfall. Oh, are you serious? Is he? Yeah, when he's sitting there, when he first meets Quartermaster, Ben Wishaw, uh, he basically makes reference to that same moment and, and says, or not to kill. I mean, it's the same line. 
Hmm. I might have uh, to talk Scott Hall that's... point for that then, because that's kind of goofy. It's not that it is the same line, or it's just this implication. No, it's not the same line. It's 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 more nuanced in the in the scene because you know he he meets Q in a museum and Q just kind of hands him a couple right, things right. and it's it's that whole sequence of of who's old, who's young, who's old, who's young, and there is that that little. And it is much more nuanced that it's also a, a license not to kill, but he doesn't say that. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, because is I don't mind someone telling James Bond to have a little restraint, but the line itself, that makes no sense. A license yeah. to kill is not a license not to kill. You right. don't need a license to do that. You just said a nonsense line that Jez Butterworth thought, hey, this yeah. is awesome. I'm going to write this down. Makes but no sense. Put it here. Plus, there's no reason for I don't understand why he doesn't kill Blofeld. Exactly, Kelly Wan. Like that, there there were no meaningful decisions in this movie. Yeah, I didn't understand yeah. any of them. I, it, it, again, it was just because. That's why I didn't kill Blofeld. Just because. Right. Kelly Wan, I have it's a, a question one. for you. Yes. Good writing or bad writing? When James Bond tells the bartender, "Throw that down the toilet, cut out the middleman." Good writing or bad writing? Uh, that's kind of good. Nope, sorry, it's bad because it's way too crass for James Bond to, to James Bond to do really like digestive humor, like a colonic <laughs> reference. No. Bad writing. There's no alcohol at this bar, Tom. What do you? What's he going to do? But James Bond making a joke about your digestive system being a middleman, basically a scat joke. Right. That was that was bad writing, Kelly. Inappropriate for the character. Uh, it's his funniest line in the movie. I'll grant you that, but Kelly Wan is still inappropriate, and you lose a point. Huh. So you're at negative one. So because you're starting at zero, so you go to negative one. Dingus, you're at one. You're at one, so you're two points ahead. This game is bullshit. Nope, nope. Kelly, one. These are the rules. You signed up for it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Disregard. Dingus, good writing or bad writing? When James Bond holds a gun on a mouse and says, "Who sent you? Who are you working for?" <laughs> That's awesome. I agree. Dingus, I that, that was that Kelly Wand inadvertently was the best line in the movie, the funniest line. Like, why am I being lectured? Like I would have said something different. From no, the, the best line in the movie is no, stay. Oh yeah, that was the funniest thing he says. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's. It, I think that the the mouse line is is uh, kind of messed up by the fact that oh he ran through the wall and there's a room over there. But yeah, I love I love that moment where he puts the gun right before you know that it's going to be a little plot contrivance thing. Right. The fact that he's like really tipsy and he's sort of at his wits end and this little mouse comes up and yeah, I kind of yeah, like I hey, we're that. seeing James Bond. Kind of not really trying to be super cool. He's talking to a mouse. It's like it's like Mar- Mark Wahlberg talking to a plant in the happening. <laughs> I think we're seeing Daniel Craig not acting. <laughs> now I'm going to talk to a goat. Kelly Wan, good writing or bad writing? I'm going to give you an exchange. This is not just one line. It's an exchange back and forth. I came here to kill you. I thought you came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> That's not good. Very good. Kelly Wan, you've gone from negative one to zero points. Yeah. Dingus, okay. here you go. Good right no, here. No, all of these are very important, Kelly Wan. They're very important decisions. Yes, no softball questions here. Dingus, good writing or bad writing? Me. It's always been me, the author of your pain. Ugh. I, mean, I, you're I don't even recognize what that's from, so I'm going to say no. It's terrible writing. It's Christoph Waltz is basically monologuing. Oh, all right. He's going, me. It's always been me, the author That's a softball. Well, you gave it away by going, oh. You're giving Dingus all the softballs. If you want to touch this, touch this. If you want to touch this, touch this. Oh, right, 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 the meteorite. By the way, that makes me wonder. But I guess it's not. This is the equivalent, again, of me being bored in a movie and looking at the news crawl. Uh, uh, Christoph Waltz says something about this meteorite has been gathering momentum for millions of years. 
I found myself after that sitting there thinking, do meteorites do meteors gather momentum? <laughs> like this, no. when you're in space, do you gather momentum? Like you've traveled a fixed For speed. What? But actually, I do think it can, and this is again just me puzzling out in the theater. I think it can gather momentum under the influence of gravity. Like gravity pulls it closer. Right. Because momentum is just your velocity and your mass together. But it's not worth sucking it in like a tractor beam. Like it's, it like is. It's, it's exactly that. It's exactly yeah. that. Yeah. So I do feel like Christopher Walken okay. was scientifically okay. accurate to say that. Um, all right, Kelly Wand, here's your last ch- chance, uh, chance to make a point. That's not reading news crawls, though. Like, that's not, that's not like a long-term way to keep... No, that was me basically considering physics instead of paying attention to the movie. I mean, but you're I right. S- yeah, I, it's just me fixated on a word, and I'm so bored with everything else, I, I decided, yeah, I'll think about I it. masturbated, but it was also to the meteorite. Wow. Well, in that case, you're still invested in the movie, so it doesn't count, Kelly Wand. You can touch it. Kelly Wand, this will bring you up a point. Good writing or bad writing? Well, we know what the C stands for. Good writing or bad writing? He has just been told the M stands for moron. He has the upper hand. Andrew Scott has no bullets in the gun. And he says to, as you call him, the British Paul Reiser, he says, well, we know what the C stands for. Good writing or bad writing? Is meteor writing an option? Answer this one. Nope, no sorry, This is Kelly's point. Don't help him on his point. This is a bi- these are all binary answers, Kelly. One, good or bad? Uh, wait, does it include the follow-up line? It does. That was the trick. Yeah, see? Uh, I'd say bad writing. Terrible writing. Terrible writing. And it's also from To Die For, because uh, Ileana Douglas is Nicole Kidman's character. She's all... But isn't it What's... good writing if he doesn't give the follow-up line? Exactly, because you're yeah. thinking it's the C word of yeah, his Ritz. That's and that the joke. That. that was hilarious. And then when he explains that it stands for careless, I was like, oh my god, Ray Fiennes, you just undermined what would have been a great sick burn. I wanted you to punch it. every writer in the head at that yeah. moment. No, just just Butterworking. Yes. All right, fine. It's a die force. He goes, four letters starting with C, and then she goes, cold. So then, oh yeah. right, yeah, I see like the so, obvious influence. There, the, right? the whole joke is to leave it hanging because yeah. we, we're in a PG thirteen movie. Just say I know what the C stands for. Yeah, and plus, thing is, some of us remember in Bruges that great yes. bit with Ray Fiennes saying, "You take that back about my C kids." Yeah, very good. Tom. And <laughs> it is isn't character. Or, did he say careless? Yeah, careless. Callous. Because even callous is even worse. No, no, it's careless because Dingus, it's careless to not check whether your gun has bullets before you pull it on someone. It's super careless, Dingus, to not make sure the ammo is in the gun. At least that makes sense and that actually makes it worse. But but geez, just if he said, if he had just said, uh, we know what the C stands for, I I mean, we both laughed. It was was hilarious. It was kind of a great moment. And then the movie is like, no, no, I wasn't what what you just laughed at. No, that's not what I was doing. I was doing something different. And then you don't even have to use the Z word, jerks. We know what you meant. So obviously my over is, as I mentioned before, Avengers 2, because it's the same thing where you've got the same team, same director. Wait, who was the contest? Oh, so Kelly Wand, you have, uh, what did you say on that last one? You said good or bad? You said bad. said bad. Kelly Wand, you have one point. Dingus has three points. Dingus wins the round. (laughs) You got three? No, no, Dingus got three points. You got one point. I know. How how did Dingus get three questions? Did he? No, Dingus got three of them right. I, I, this is the official record keeping right here on this scratch piece of paper. If Dingus, I missed one, two. Okay, all right. 
Yeah. Go back to over under. I guess I'm dumb. So Avengers two for Sorry. me. I was super disappointed, but at least Avengers two at times like had some energy. There were times I was kind of waffling back and forth. Oh, am I not into this? Am I into it? Um, like if I had to sit down and watch another movie, boy, I would not want to watch uh, Spectre again. But Avengers two, you know, at least some of the characters seem to be some of the actors seem to be having fun. Um, at least there was some energy in it, and, and this just – none of that. This was just, like I mentioned before, this slog. Um, so my over is Avengers 2, and my under, mainly because I was even more bitterly disappointed. I mean, for me, it was kind of a happy accident that Sam Mendes, the guy who did like American Beauty, Road to Perdition, that he is going to do an, a great James Bond movie. That That's against all odds to me. That's, that's a great, pleasant surprise. The fact that Christopher Nolan would do a great movie, Dark Knight – Right. That's, that's See the awesome. pattern? I expect that. But the fact that he fails so miserably in the, the third movie with, with Tom Hardy being Bane, like all of that, mm. that was such a steeper fall than I thought from Skyfall to, to Spectre. So my under, Dark Knight. Dark Knight even worse, more disappointing. Uh, Kelly Wan or uh, Dingus, what were your over and under? Uh, my under is actually Matrix Reloaded yep. um, because – uh, the architect is such a terrible, like, if we're going to get to a final, like, I've been the one who has been orchestrating everything, and it's that old dude, really? That's who we're going to finally trickle down to? The architect? This guy? Um, and I'm just so disappointed. I think Christoph Waltz just needs to get away from, don't, don't do any more villains. Just, I know, I know, Dingus. He's going to get typecast as so, uh, it's, it's from Inglorious Bastards. Like people need to see him in yeah. something like Carnage or yeah, exactly. uh, or, or Django Unchained, for instance. Right, right. So and I was thinking of both those things, and I, especially Carnage. Yeah. I mean, I mean, see what what the guy can do because he can really stretch, and even Inglorious Bastards because he's not. He, I mean, he he can play so many colors in that movie, and he cannot do that here. He's just like he literally he's in shadow for his entire first scene and whispering to somebody else. And then when he finally gets on, he's just doing Christoph Waltz, like smiling and prancing around a little bit. Yeah. There's no um, menace to it. Is there? Yeah, absolutely not. And, and you know, one, one of the things that was interesting to me is I was remembering the, our podcast for Skyfall and how you guys were so into Har- Javier Bardem. And I wasn't as much because I felt like he was channeling a little bit too much Hannibal Lecter and that kind of thing. Um, but good Lord, uh, what a, what an awesome villain when you really watch it back again. And that, that, that's the thing. I mean, and I'll blame the writing for, for a lot of this. Um, and I've done that for a lot of this podcast. Um, a lot of this isn't Christoph Waltz's fault. Uh, but he, the, cause there's just not a lot for him to do. There's just not a lot for him to do here. But I want him to try to do other things if he can, cause Carnage, just watch Carnage to see some of the cool things he can do. So I, I chose Matrix Reloaded because that, that, as an under, because, oh good lord. That <laughs> villain, that overarching villain, oh I'm the guy who's controlled all of the things, I'm the architect. Really, we stumble into a room and it's you? Oh, alright, whatever. Um, uh, the over, and this is going to be totally weird, but, but all while I was watching their, their train trip through the desert and they're, as they're driving out to this weird, uh, installation somewhere out in the desert, all I could think of was the fact that I, I watched Sahara, um, a few <laughs> weeks ago. What? Uh, Why? Just curious. 
what was the movie that we that we watched that I had to watch Sahara for? Because the director of uh, uh, was it Simon Estes? What did he do that we saw? Wasn't that the Sahara guy, Dingus? Uh, I forget what his name is now, and all, all of a sudden I can't remember. But it's it's a movie that we just watched. Um, uh, it's an action movie we just watched, and now all of a sudden I'm Hunter. oh, Last Witch Hunter, yeah. But Sahara has this great weird uh, vehicle, the thing where where they they get dumped off in the desert and then they have to go out into the desert and they wind up in this installation in the middle of the desert. There's this whole solar installation where, and there's this whole thing about environmental things where they're where they're hiding toxicity and it's this gigantic um, solar panel thing. It, it looks just like. It, not just like, but it reminds me of the the thing that they go to when they when they get dropped off the train. All that train stuff, uh, although there's camels in the, the Sahara stuff. I just thought Sahara had such a better understanding of the balance between uh, <laughs> a camp and action. And I think that, that a James Bond movie, as dark as they've become, have to have some sort of understanding of a balance between camp and action, and also a balance between what the, what the characters want and what they don't want, and why they're out there in the desert. And I don't think that this movie, when we wind up out there in the desert, understands what the hell's going on, and, or why the characters are there, and why this, this, this car is showing up out of nowhere. Um, so, if you... I don't suggest you guys go and watch Sarah. <laughs> um, but if you ever do, they will definitely call to mind those moments from the train being dropped off and being driven out to this installation in the middle of nowhere. So Sahara is my over. Uh, Sahara and Last Witch Hunter. I don't know where I got Simon Estes. Uh, Breck Eisner. Oh, Breck Eisner. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I screwed up. So yeah, Breck Eisner. Yeah. Kelly Wand, you're over and under. What do you got? Uh, I kind of used your tactics on Under, because uh-huh. my Under is Skyfall, because it tricked me into looking forward to the future, which is kind of like Dark Knight did. Wait, Skyfall is Under? Skyfall is your Under? Just for the same reason Dark Knight's your Under. But I hated Dark Knight. I loved Skyfall. I thought we all... Uh, no, you like Dark Knight... No, no, Dark the, Knight Return, the, the stupid Dark, one with Tom Dark Hardy. Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, I thought right. Dark Knight was your Under... Because no, Dark Knight is, Dark no, these, my over and under were crappy movies that I was particularly disappointed in because their predecessors were so awesome. And the same creative team then turns around and does a crappy movie. Right. Well, so, yeah, so my under was uh, was Dark Knight ri- Rises. And, yeah. Okay, my under Skyfall still, just because I'm bitter. <laughs> okay. Well, wait, so yeah. you would rather watch this again than Skyfall? Is that what over under means? I don't know. It's like you like this better than Sky, slightly better than Skyfall. All so right, it can't be Skyfall. No, if you under, don't like Skyfall. If you want to turn around on Skyfall, that's your prerogative. My unders. Um, uh, it's since you're making this up on the fly. Let's remember that uh, a Spider-Man movie wound up on his top ten list <laughs> just because he <laughs> thought it was fun. And that his favorite movie of that year was King's Speech. Nothing else he saw that year he resonated with as strongly as King's Speech. That's a good point. Yeah. Right over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so go ahead. So you're under, you're not sure about, you're, you're still considering, but but for the time being at Skyfall, what is your yeah. over? What do you like better than Spectre? Uh, it's similar. My over is uh, The Invasion with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the Oliver uh, Hirschbagel movie. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's an unwatchable piece of shit. 
Oh, like, come on. No, no, it's... What? Uh, mangled by, I think it was mangled in post-production, but Oliver Hirschbagel had some interesting ideas to bring to right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, very much like the... Uh, who did the 70s one? I should know this. Bill Kaufman. That yeah, yeah, Bill Kaufman. Right stuff, guys. That movie's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah, I like I like that all that, all that freezer stuff at the end and stuff. I mean, no, I don't like that they all come back. Everyone's saved. That's fucking bullshit. And Fair also, uh, okay. and I don't think Oliver Hirschbagel likes that either. By the way, because I think that 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 Redemption. might be one of the things that point of contention. Yeah. There's also a thing where they're watching TV, and then when the pods have taken over, ever all the soldiers are all peaceful right. on TV. And then at the end, the black, the, everyone's fighting again. The soldiers are shooting each other, and then the black dude's all, "Well, I guess we're human again." Okay, thanks for explaining what body snatchers means. <laughs> Fuck you. But you're saying you like that better than Spectre because. Huh? Daniel Craig gets turned into a pod in that, and even as his, at least his zombiness in that movie was part of the plot. Sure. But then fucking Spectre, he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And he's supposed to, I guess. But when the, he had those quotes, like right before Spectre came out, where he's like, I'm never playing James Bond again, fuck this shit. And I thought, oh, you know, that's like when Liam Neeson was kind of burned out after Phantom Menace and was going to retire from acting. And See, I always hear that, and I think they're just, it's just a matter of yeah, yeah. It's, it's I thought that contract too. negotiations. They're just saying that and for I, business reasons, but I believe, right. you know, I believe yeah, yeah. Daniel Craig when I see this movie. Well, then when I saw oh. the movie and I saw his face and I saw his acting in Spectre, I'm like, holy shit, he really wants out of yeah, this. He was serious, right? Well, yeah, I totally I do. I, I sat down to write this whole, like, difference between what's cool, what's casual, what's indifferent, what's bored, uh, and how do these things, how do these two things relate to these two movies? And then I realized, no, he's just bored. Forget it. He's super bored. Yeah. And everyone, and I don't blame him, because everyone else is bored too. Like, I, if the movie was good, I think he'd be in it. But there's this great idea of, of, you know, James Bond as being cool. And and projecting indifference in order to freak out his enemies yes. to to make them understand that he doesn't feel fear. And then in Skyfall, when he's talking to that uh, whoever that one woman is that he has sex with on the boat, uh, you know, she asks him about fear, and he says, "I understand fear. I understand fear in all of its forms." And uh, there's this great understanding of the character as understanding fear and feeling fear, but here there's just no sense of feeling anything at all. No. No, I couldn't tell what was going on in his head for the whole movie, and that's because, really weird for a James Bond movie. Because it's ap- it's apathy instead of. I mean, there's a difference between indifference, apathy, being casual and being cool, uh, and then and what those things you're going to project and what you're going to feel underneath the surface. And I and I honestly feel that Tom is right that he just just yeah couldn't care less. And more Roger Moore takes a lot of heat, but he was sort of my first. He was my entry point to James Bond. I just remember in Spy Who Loved Me, like his his devil, his not caring was was cool. But he was also always really like he was pretty focused on the mission too. So it's like he was just casually phoning it in. But that's just because he was so competent and like the mission was getting done. And he he's like he was kind of up against in that movie. And in this, it's just like I don't know why he just doesn't seem to care. Why he's it's not a character choice. It's an actor who doesn't want to be doing this. Right. Yeah. I don't think most of them, and I think that's the problem. My main problem is that Naomi Harris doesn't want to be doing this, and she's the most interesting person from the last movie for me. And they relegated her to an administrative assistant role. Kelly Wan, do you have a favorite Bond girl? Um, I'd have sixty nine with an octopus. 
There's the white leftover, Kelly one? There's always a couple left over. Cause hate 69. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> There's no need to unpack that, I got the idea. Well, you know, I'm trying to do what Spectre would do. Ah! Oh, Brittany's gone even before the topic? Uh, I don't feel she's appropriate for the topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I just did this, was, this was a little manipulative, but I feel like it, it should bear up. This is a movie that I felt had no wasted lines. I'd be curious what you guys came up with. This is your favorite lines from the movie Bone Tomahawk. Uh, before we, uh, just sure, in, in, in the course of talking about our favorite lines or bringing them up, or if we even had any, uh, we'll get plenty of conversation about the movie. So rather than say anything about the movie, we'll just launch into the lines and let the conversation go where it will. Dingus, you're introducing next week's 3 by 3 Start us off with your third favorite line from Bone Tomahawk, and maybe say a little about how you approach the topic. All right. So first of all, my my third favorite line from Bone Tomahawk, and this uh, is going to be thematic for me, but here's my third favorite line. Uh, Where do you put the spoons? They're no place logical. <laughs> I don't remember that line. That's a good Is point. that with uh, Kurt Russell and his wife? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is with Kurt, Kurt Russell and his wife, and um, – and all uh, th- all three of my lines have to do with relationships um, that counteract the uh, the line uh, that one of you might have, and I apologize, but the the, the line "smart men don't get married." Um, so the, this idea of uh, of of how people who uh, are in relationships uh, and people who aren't in relationships and the interplay that takes place within the movie. Um, but I really like this little moment. And one of the things I love about this, and you know, I was kind of a, a little bit annoyed uh, with Tom for choosing this because it is, it is really like, uh, Hey, I, I want you guys to see a movie I really like. So uh, let me do a topic that makes you all have to go see the movie. Uh, but as it turns out, he made us see a movie that... Right. Uh, he would only do that, I think, if, you know, he felt pretty sure. Well, but, I do feel well, every line in this... I mean, I feel this, this is such an economical movie. Every line in this, I think, is has some meaning. Like, there's a, there, this is a movie that's over two hours, and it doesn't feel long to me at all because uh, it's so carefully crafted. And that, that's one of the reasons. I mean, what is your favorite line when every line is great? You know, what do you do? And And maybe that's just me... Uh, being thinking a little too highly of it, but I just wanted to know what you guys would do in a movie like this, where there's so many great lines, where the writing is just so stark and specific and, and unique. Um, in such a weird genre piece, too. It's kind of like Michael Moriarty in uh, Q. Well, regardless of, of of the genre piece or whatever, uh, I totally agree with what Tom just said. Is is that? It, I kind of went into this reluctantly because I was a little bit annoyed with the topic. I'm just being honest here. But as I watched the movie and as I was taking notes, I I couldn't stop writing lines down because everything they say, 
uh, and and there's a number of ways I could have gone at this topic, which which makes it, I think, a great topic. There's a number of ways I could have gone at this movie. I could have gone at it from the vernacular because there's so so much great vernacular in the movie. I could have gone at it from one character's lines that I loved. I could have gone at it from just the uh, idea of the of the action phrases that they're using. Yep. But uh, but I I chose this particular thing. But Tom's abs- absolutely right. But because it's it's hard to pick a line that isn't good in there. I mean, it would be easier to actually choose three <laughs> lines that shouldn't be in the movie. Um, yeah, you have to cut three lines. What are they? Right? Yeah. yeah, and and I I honestly I wouldn't know how to do that. It even even the 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 cries that the creatures make. I I wouldn't be able to cut. I mean, I honestly as as I sat there and I I did have sort of a chip on my shoulder as I was doing this. Uh, I couldn't stop writing down lines. I couldn't stop. It's it's amazing to hear so many actors come into a scene, even people who, uh, you know, should have throwaway moments, saying awesome lines, just great little lines that that I know I'm going to be saying around the house or to be saying to people, and they won't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, there are so many great little lines that should be throwaway lines or would be would be useless in another movie, but this movie, man, this script. Whatever else I feel about it, however else it made me feel watching the whole movie, and we can talk about that later, uh, but damn, damn, the dialogue in this movie is so fucking great. So um, so what I just decided to go with was uh, was these things about relationships, and this is this moment where, where the wife and, and you – and this is this is played off in other in in an earlier scene where they're talking about soup and and spoons come up earlier on and it's clear what what his relationship with his, is in cooking and it's clear what what's going on with his wife and then she's in that scene with him and he kisses her and and he says oh you're gonna make fry bread and she goes yeah I am too uh, or, or that's my intention uh, where'd you put the spoons they're no place logical. And it's it's it says so much about what's been going on in their relationship. She's been sick for a long time. She can't cook. Uh, she can't do anything for the household. He's been having to do everything, and he's put things in the wrong place. And she can't find anything. And she wants to finally cook. She finally feels better, and she wants to cook. And she can't find the spoons. Where are the spoons? They're no place logical. And then he says this great line of like, "Well, I was hoping you would find it would help me solve that enigma." I mean, there's this. I mean, every line in this movie is followed by a line that is almost better than it. Um, so yeah, number three and is. It, it kind of throws a little light. It makes you wonder too when uh, Richard Jenkins comes into the sheriff's office and it's like, "Oh, can I, that tea smells something awful," and he's like, "No, no, it's soup." Like yeah. you're, you're thinking, well, "Who's making? Why is he making soup at the, in the office? That makes no sense. It's this weird detail." But like maybe Stop having, number two. Oh, sorry. But maybe he's having to cook at the office because his wife he wants to let her start cooking at home. Like you start to piece together right. little right, bits right, like right, that. Right. Yeah. And they don't have spoons at the office. That's that's what one of the. Oh things. yeah, yeah, that's right. She's like, Richard Jenkins. We, we, like, we don't have any spoons. So let me pour it in. Let it cool for a minute, and, right. and what Richard Jenkins has to spit it out. I mean, he doesn't have spoons at the office. Nobody knows where the spoons are. I mean, that's wonderful that she says because you know having. You know, been to other people's kitchens and trying to cook in them, and like, where do you put your spatulas? Where are things? I don't understand where things are. And, and she's like, "Where'd you put the spoons? They're no place logical." I love that. I love that construction. They're no place logical. Look at that sentence construction. They're no place logical. All right, well, he's also go ahead. Just uh, the way he's using that soup as a prop too. When the guy's telling him about 
what he's seen, how Chicory is telling him about the suspicious character he's seen, yeah. and Kurt Russell's kind of sipping contemplatively. And if he'd had a spoon, that it wouldn't have been as cool. Like the right. fact that he didn't have a spoon made him more, I don't know. Kind it's of also awesome. making him in Peapot. Cause it's, so it's, an, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a reasonable uh, – when he says that, that smells gruesome, and he says the word gruesome, there's a reason he's making that assumption. And then he says it smells good now that I know it's t- – I mean, that's – oh, yeah. man, I love that so much. And then later, this soup tastes like corn. <laughs> corn chowder does taste like corn, yeah. And he says, oh, it's coming online. It's coming. Everything's coming online. Right. <laughs> I think it's – I want to ask you then uh, – so Kurt Russell and his wife, she's been sick. Like there's this relationship that they imply, and they obviously love each other. They're close. Um, you've said before in movies where characters put themselves in peril and take themselves away from their families, like you, not that you feel less sympathy, but you basically like don't respect that or understand that or that bothers you when somebody does that. Uh, I feel in this movie, Kurt Russell, and this gets to some of my picks, like he knows he's basically marching off to his death. Yeah, yeah. He basically puts himself in the situation that is going to take him away from his wife. Right. Did that uh, like trip? But it's trip, his job. Let me think of the answer. Okay, uh, okay. Did that sort of like trip anything for you, or did that? Did you have any sort of emotional reaction like you might in, in Everest, for instance? You know, uh, uh, well, uh, I, I was going to answer this question differently until you brought up Everest. Everest, my 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 objection particularly was that this was something that was for recreation. Um, you know, Josh Brolin's character running off and leaving his family and his kids, which is a specific difference in this movie and that, um, was for recreation. He's going off to thrill seek. He's going off. And also, you know, to be fair to conquer depression, I guess. Um, but he's also going off the thrill seek and he's leaving his family in the lurch while he goes to do that. And they have to go to considerable expense to to save him this is this is uh, his job i mean there's there's something else about the frontier later on that we'll hopefully get into um but this is his job and i mean he's the sheriff of the town and he doesn't have kids but even if he did uh, i mean there's understanding if, if you're if you're married to a firefighter if you're married to a policeman if you're married to a soldier they're gonna have to leave for an untold amount of time sometimes and they might never come back. And that's different from a man going off to, you know, go bungee jumping. Mm-hmm. All right. Kelly Wan, third favorite line from uh, bone tomahawk. Not as good as your number one, your number two pick, but still good and good enough to be in the top three. That ain't no poem. <laughs> that's when you emailed me. So I thought that might be your first favorite. Yeah. All right. Why do well, like you like about that moment and what was going on there? Cause I was thinking it while he was reading it. Do I have to spoil it, or can I just let it? No, we're doing this for people who've seen it. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah, oh, please. You think we're going to make that? We should make that absolutely clear. I mean, I think you did, Tom, already last week. Yeah, we're. we're you think we're going to break down a movie this specifically for people who haven't seen it? Please. Right. And and people are going to listen to this who haven't seen it. Like oh, nobody's going to listen to nine nine wonderful lines from a movie that they haven't seen. First of all, nobody's going to care who hasn't seen it. And if somebody knows they want to see it, they're not going to want to listen to us talk about nine lines from the movie. And if they but also, talk enthusiastically, maybe they'll just go off and see it. Right. Which would but also, if they, if, if they have seen it, then my explanation will also be a little moot, since they'll have they'll have, they'll know the line, too. So they'll just know tell why us what you love about it. Yeah, yeah, why'd you like it? Yeah. 
Just I thought I'd explain the line, but yeah. What? Well, is where to Lily Simmons? Uh, the luscious Lily Simmons. That's her stage name, by the way. Yeah. Oh my God, she's really covered up in this, but I still her voice drives well, me crazy. Well, there is that one scene. I know. Oh yeah, she's not covered up in that scene. Which, by the way, is so like you know this idea of oh, that's what sex was like then. Like they're just it's like yeah. so not a modern sex scene. <laughs> Well, that's one of my one, really of my one of my runners up was please continue. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah, they're a really good couple. That's the thing. That's the, the kind of genius of the movie. It is. It actually makes you give a shit about the rescue. Like, right. Uh, Hello, Spectre. Welcome. I know. Like, right. The matter. Well, and, for me, what, what and the sex scene. Which what it reminded me of, Kelly One, you didn't see. I don't think you saw Green Inferno. I know Dingus didn't, but but Eli Roth tried to do the same thing with a movie about cannibals, where he's going to spend the first half of Green Inferno introducing you to these annoying characters in their lives, and the first half of the movie is about these like eco activists trying to stop the rainforest from being cut down, and it's only in the second half of the movie they just happen to crash land near these cannibals. But you're spending, you know, the first whatever, 45 minutes of the movie thinking, wait, when are cannibals going to attack them? What the hell? Uh, because Eli Roth thinks he's making you care about his characters. And that, that's what this dead. movie is doing. It's making you care about the characters before they descend into hell. And this is a brilliant example of what Eli Roth fails completely to do. And I've seen what a lot of horror movies fail completely to do is they want you to care about these, th- these people to whom terrible things will happen. So there's a lot of character development, and unless you do it well, it's just wasted time. It's not that hard to do, or maybe it is hard to do. But again, maybe if, if you're if you're making a horror movie, it doesn't occur to most of those dudes to make it. Although oh. maybe in oh, man. Green Furnace, work, it, it works. It works so well. Like yeah, I like know. Something I know. like um, God, Wolf Creek. I mean, it's yeah, this reminds me a lot of Wolf Creek thing. It's a good, yeah. good call. Um, but it was still, I the you top first says, like, please the, continue. What's the Wolf Creek connection? I cut you off. No, no, go ahead. It's just that that feeling of uh, of of being able. It's not making you. It's you just do. <laughs> I mean, one of the things, one of the verbs that you guys like making you can care about the characters. You don't have to make us care about the characters if you have compelling characters. We just do. Um, that, Wolf Creek takes its time with the character development yeah, too. Like yeah. it's a while before anything weird happens in there. Yeah. yeah, but but it's not arbitrary. I mean, I actually care about what's going on, and I actually care about the dilemma. Even though I don't necessarily know that much about them, I mean, I care much more about these characters. I think I get to know them a lot better than I got to know those kids, um, because I think that there's there's more, I don't know, there's more layers. There's there's more dimension. There's more family going on. Well, as as Louis C.K. once uh, said, which is so true, no one who's under twenty five is interesting. <laughs> Very good. Very good job. That's I was gonna say. The Green Inferno thing, maybe Eli Roth's point is to get things done, like important causes, it's usually ha- has to be done by like kind of annoying people, like people who would, you know, you, stir, I, I stir. think you're giving him way too much credit. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to do what you did with Piranha, but I'm not good at it. I think Alexander Asher knows what he's doing a lot better than Eli Roth. Uh-huh. Look, he was in Glorious Bastards. He knows. <laughs> so, Kelly Wan, what I like about that line you picked in that moment, um, it's not a poem, but but I can see how she would think it's a poem, right. and I can see too how it really gives us some insight into the, the way he feels and the fact that he is, you know, he's a cowboy, he he runs cattle for a living, but he's this very sort of like sensitive, good person, um, 
when he reads the whole letter and it's kind of long and involved. And the fact that the movie does, I mean, there's so many takes in this that, you know, the, the, like I said, it's over two hours. There's so many places where I think a lesser director would cut earlier. Yeah, right, right. And the fact that, yeah, or we, we hear that, yeah, the fact that we hear him read that whole letter out loud, you know, the movie doesn't want to cut and abbreviate that scene. Uh, and he takes some balls. Exactly. And he, he could just look at the letter and say, that ain't no poem. But no, he reads yeah. it to us, and the writer has to write something that yeah. sounds like a cattle driver would write it to home, and it sounds like the wife would interpret it as a poem. Um, yeah, so I love that bit. And then at the end, when he says, that ain't no poem, like, that is something he would say. Yeah. <laughs> so and he, he says it kind of lovingly, like, oh, look at yeah. her, it's so cute, she thinks it's a poem, and it's not. Yeah. Well, he gets a little choked she's a doctor. he reads it. And yeah. I think he understands her perspective he understands what she was hearing and he also remembers what he was feeling when he wrote it because i think he was feeling those emotions even if he might not have been able to express those things vocally to her but i think he remembers that moment and there's also that there's there's a great foreshadowing too that she's not there in the house and we're all afraid of that too and And there's there's so much going on when he goes to get his gun he grabs the letter and he says you'll hear it again soon Right, and that's uh, my I actually, and, and I might as well just jump. I'm I'm sorry to jump ahead of you, Tom, huh? but that's my number two. Oh, uh, because uh, so many of the things in this movie that I love, and th- this is going to show up, I think, probably later on in the year, are these little tiny moments. And when he goes and grabs that moment, when he goes and grabs the letter, and he looks out the window, and he says, "You'll hear it soon." That's that other relationship moment that I so love in this movie. And it's related to the thing that Kelly, uh, Kelly brought up. There ain't no poem. But then he, he takes a moment. He's, he's packing stuff up. He's putting things in his pocket. He's throwing things over his shoulders. And then he stops. He goes and grabs the letter and he looks out the window and he says, uh, you'll hear it soon. Yeah. I love that line so freaking much. So that would be my number two. But uh, we haven't even gotten your number three yet. Similar to that, though, Dingus, it's not a line, but I love the touch that when Kurt Russell comes to tell her that, that she's missing, uh, that he runs off without even putting on his shoes. And then right. Kurt Russell has to go over and pick up his shoes and follow along behind him. Yeah. Not only that, Kurt Russell goes up first and closes the door. Right, right, exactly, right. He leaves the door open, right. Yeah, exactly. And and Kurt Russell, it's it's not, I mean, you can understand a man leaving his door open, but you can understand a lesser movie not even bothering with that, right. that yeah. moment. But Kurt Russell walks up to the porch, closes the door of the man's house, picks up his boots, and follows him in. Yeah. There's so many little moments, little tiny moments in this movie that are like that, that I love. And that well, movie really would have been a montage that you said, Tom, and then and he says, "You'll hear it soon." I love that so much, and it also brings this huge amount of hope, which is the name of their town, uh, to what's going to happen as the movie goes on. So, uh, Kurt Russell's character really, like, I I would put this up there with some of my favorite things he's done, like McCready and the Thing, Jack Burton. I mean, there. I'm not a big Tombstone. Like, I haven't seen Tombstone in really? forever, but I, I do wonder if people who have seen Tombstone, and Dingus, and you could probably tell me this, would think he's just reprising that character. But I, I, I just I just love Sheriff Franklin Hunt. I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, as, as much as I love McCready and Jack Burton. Uh, so did you guys feel this was kind of – and not, not, to, not to diminish it, but was this Kurt Russell basically just channeling the same thing he did in Tombstone? No. Okay. It's a different kind of movie, and he's a different kind of character. He's a little more eccentric, and he shows more tenderness than he does in Tombstone. 
He's also like, for instance, when you see, I don't know what he's doing, but when Chicory comes in to, to say, hey, I saw uh, uh, David Arquette rooting around under a tree, uh, Kurt Russell is, he's like reading a book with a magnifying glass. Yeah. He has more humanity. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what he, is he reading like literature? Is he reading text? No, is he's he, doing experiments. Is, I mean, not experiments, but he's, he's studying things. Does he say what he's studying? Because I, I, I think he does, but I can't remember. Okay. But, uh, you know, you know he's an inquisitive, learned man, for instance. I mean, you, you right. get the sense that he's not just a podunk sheriff. Um, he has a lot of insight into character, like when he confronts uh, – is it David Arquette? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah, he confronts buddy. David Arquette and he's calling him out, like he's got this like Sherlock Holmes thing. Right. Like, uh, like oh, what, what day is today? Like that's this great Sherlock Holmes moment. You're like, right, Why right. is he asking uh, that? And then uh, the guys – For the like, whole music stand stuff. I mean he knows he's, – he's got a real inquisitive mind. Yeah. Yeah. So my lines, none of my lines are the sort of things that have punch. They are smaller throwaway lines for the most part that I just love what they reveal about about character. And I love the moment where Patrick Wilson, they brought him to – oh, and by the way, the name of the tavern, Learned Goat. Yeah, but the Learned Goat. So Go deliciously the, weird. Get the professor um, and bring him to the Learned Goat. Yeah, yeah, exactly, oh. right. So when they get the professor, and by the way, that the professor is a Native American, I'm like, whoa, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. What a bold choice. Uh, and they're they're quizzing the guy about who would have this arrow, and the guy is saying, these are people with no language, that they don't have a name because they can't talk. They will kill you. Don't go out there. I'm not going to tell you where they are. This is folly. Uh, you know, you'll be doomed. There's a moment, and then Patrick Wilson yells at him. He's like, you know, answer the question. And and to just show his solidarity with Patrick Wilson, he says to the professor, and this is so simple, but it's so much in Kurt Russell's reading, he says, we won't be dissuaded. Yeah. Like, it's just this simple little declaration. It's a weird verb, dissuaded. Um, but Kurt Russell shows such fluency with, like, this weird way of talking. Like, he later asks Patrick Wilson for the, the flask of mm-hmm. – the, for the opiate stuff – for the opium, the tincture of opium. Yeah, yeah, and he says, "Will you yield it?" Like, yeah, you know, the line yeah. is basically, "Will you give it to me?" But Kurt Russell just that stuff flows off his tongue. So that just yeah. that reading in that line, "We won't be dissuaded." Like, I love that moment, uh, and it's basically, he's got this weary sense that he has to do this, and, and it's why I was asking you about that thing. This is, I feel, it is a matter of it's his job, it's his duty, it's his sense of honor. He has to do this, and he knows it. And there's this grizzled weariness to him, even though he's just been told he'll basically die if he does it. Right. Um, and I love the fact that he just kind of sighs and says they're not going to be dissuaded. They got to do it. They're going to do it. We won't be dissuaded. Yeah. And I think the I think the way that Kurt Russell uses language in this movie um, informs the way the ensemble and I'll use the four of them. I mean, basically, um, as the ensemble, not the four of them. Um, yeah. Richard Jenkins, uh, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, um, and, 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 and Matthew uh, Fox, Matt, so, so. and Matthew. Yeah, and, uh, the way they use language, I think, is informed by him being able to use language like that. The way that he says it without apology, without any sort of like winking or nodding, he just uses it like this is the way we talk. And I think that sets the tone for all of their posse, so to, so to speak, being able to use language that way. Yeah. Kelly, Wanda, I kind of feel sorry. I'm not sad for Dingus. He probably made the right call. But the fact that you and I dealt with, I don't know, six, eight seasons of Lost, and we know Matthew Fox from that and then get to see him do this, Dingus is missing out on that whole, wow, this is what he could do. Like, this is that guy that I had to deal with through all these seasons of Lost. Alienism for Steve Racer. 
What do you mean had to deal with? Well, it's lost is just so like long and turgid and, and, and yeah, labored and and so many of the actors like you can tell they don't know what they're doing or why they're doing they this. Yeah. Because there's they're no reason to it. It's Dam- yeah. because Damon Lindelof. Yeah, it's right. it's just crap. And it's like I don't I don't have I, I understand he's from like Party of Five. Like he's got this long TV past, and I don't know any of that. So to me, he's just this guy who was kind of intriguing to watch at first, but it just got so tedious over the years. Uh, it was so cool to see him play this character, and he does this vocal inflection the way he delivers the lines. And because I, I I I know all of these actors from other things, and I I bring this baggage with them, and and part of the baggage was well, I'd really like to see Matthew Fox given some cool material, and he was here. Uh, he's not bad on Lost, though. Like he's as good as he can be, considering. You know? Well, a lot of people, yeah, like uh, Terry O'Quinn. It's like, like, like Lost okay, right. basically drags so many. Uh, it just drags down anybody who's in Lost. Like but without them, imagine it without them. Right. Imagine Lost without them. Well, it would be like everyone being like Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, everyone being that so level of that. Yeah. That's Josh Holloway's signature. Dingus didn't watch Lost. Of course not. Yeah, he he knew better. Hmm. All right, so you your second favorite line. You'll hear it again soon. Kelly, That's now we're up to you. What is your second favorite line in Bone Tomahawk? Uh, this one was kind of telegraphed already, so I feel like I should change it since there's so many to choose from. But my number two, since I'm, I've always you're, – you're a stickler for like – what was your real number two? You, you can't sweet. make these up on the fly, Kelly Wand. My number two is that tea smells gruesome. That's because it's soup. And then Chikri goes, oh, can I have some? <laughs> Like, right, exactly. Like before, he he hated the idea of it. Once he knows it's soup, he's like, "Oh, I do want some of that." Yeah, yeah. And he says it without missing a beat. I feel I don't know. It's like I kind of want to give Kurt Russell all the lines, just because every one of his lines is so. He's such an underrated actor, I think. Um, I never. So, I, I mean, he's got so much like charisma to him, and he has such a lot of range. Like he can he's just so confident. Up. I mean, the thing is, yeah. the guy's just so confident. I mean. Yeah. That's what he anchors them. But he looks right too. Like it's really hard to to like usually you get someone who looks right, but they can't read. They can't say the lines as well. They just coast. That's one of but the like, things that that bugs me most, and I just I find this just so deplorable. Like Quentin Tarantino and that fucking Death Proof. Like there's so much promise in that, and part of the promise is Kurt Russell as stuntman Mike and what he's doing there. And it just ends up like leaving him literally crying by the road. Yeah. You know, Quentin Tarantino has this really cool character, and that's where he's going to go with him. Because um, he's barely in it, because it's mostly about the dames. Yeah, yeah, the annoying chicks. Yeah, right. So yeah. two groups of annoying chicks. Is the is the is your number two line that tea smells gruesome or it's soup? It's oh, can I have some? <laughs> oh, can I have some? Fair enough. All right. There's so many. So you say all the great lines are cursed. Like I think. Richard Jenkins is amazing in this. Yeah. Um, he brings, like, this is the sort of character that, like, in the olden days, Walter Brennan would play, and it would just be, he's like a clown. Yeah. But Richard Jenkins brings, over the course of the movie, this really kind of sad dignity to this guy. Yeah. And as you learn things about him, that he was like a surgeon in the war, and, you know, the moment where he says goodbye to his wife, and then he's got to help these good people, like, like that. I love how that, and, and just as far as the joke lines, too, he's got all these great, awesome. Yeah funny lines and he's a loyal friend and it's because he helps jumpstart things although he's, i guess you know. he might be one of my favorite characters in recent cinema uh, i mean honestly chicory chicory uh, and the way richard jenkins plays him uh, might be one of my favorite characters i mean obviously I, I would put him on and i know this won't happen but i would put him on a list of 
guys who should be nominated for Academy Awards, yeah, sure. that kind of thing. He's he he has the best line. It's not just that he has the best lines in the movie. I mean, a lesser actor wouldn't know what the fuck to do with these lines. Right, right, right. But but he he takes. There, there's a moment when he's going to bring. I, I got some fresh wilds. He's going to bring his wife some wildflowers, and he and he just says, "Hey, Greg." Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Over yep. to a tombstone. He's like, "Hey, Greg." And, I mean, <laughs> There's there's a ton of moments like that, where or just little throwaway moments like that that whole that flea circus thing when he's like when he's talking oh to his wife God, off yes. to the side where he's just yeah. like okay see I mean there's there's a ton of moments this is one of the most brilliant performances I've seen in recent years honestly is and will it be recognized I don't know who cares maybe no, the Oscars good lord this guy and and the you know, his work in the visitor. I thought should have been best actor that year, but this, what he's doing in this movie is unbelievable to me. And there's so, I mean, he's given so much great material too as part of it, but yeah, a lot of it dingus is, is him is he, he knows what to do with it. He has this sense of a character. He also, by the way, does this kind of wheezy vocal inflection. Yeah. And yeah. that's not the way he normally talks and he's, no. he's doing a character. I didn't exactly. Think so. yeah. exactly. Right. We didn't that, 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 Beard. I mean, that's not how Richard Jenkins normally looks either. Like, because he has a really awesome, cool stone, stone-like voice. Yeah. So the fact that an actor would be willing to sacrifice that for a part is—it's yep. like, a John Cazal thing to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's got a system that's private. There's there's so many little moments where he says little mo. Oh little yeah. That, are any of you saw the ambulance? That's private. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forget. And I was so worried he was a goner for the whole movie. It, well, I think you think that. Yeah. I think yeah, you yeah, think yeah. he's going to be that's the sacrificial lamb. Like right. he's going to be one of the first to die. And this is the buffoon. Right. Well, let, so let's get into some of the violence because my second favorite line. Um, in addition to getting to know these characters and their soft spots and getting to know their home lives and their backstories, in, in the case of like Richard Jenkins, um, this is a very tough, brutal movie, and, yeah. and these men. And, and it's been compared to Cormac McCarthy, and I think part of the comparison is the brutal, simple, just straightforward violence. It's not – there's no, like, super gruesome gore. I mean, well, except for one exception. Yeah, yeah. For, the, for the most part, the <laughs> violence is just super de- perfunctory. You know, the arrow just penetrates. You know, there's a shot. You know, somebody gets hit in the head with a rock. Like, you see the rock hit Richard Jenkins' yeah. head. Um, so I think that sort of recalls some Cormac McCarthy, but also the – the austerity of it, and yet the ostentation of the language. Like Cormac yeah. McCarthy, he's no Hemingway. It's not just minimalist plain stuff. But he's also, it's not overwrought poetry, but there are just amazing turns of phrase in Cormac McCarthy's writing. Uh, and I think the way that Craig Zal- Zyler, shoot, I need to know his name. Zala? Craig uh, Zoller? Dead gummit. Mm. Fun. Oh, that's something Kurt Russell would say. Uh, Craig uh, Zeller, yes, Z A H L E R. So Craig Zeller, um, I, I think the way he shoots this movie is it just does have this kind of depth and simplicity, yet ornateness that kind of recalls the way Cormac McCarthy writes, and of course the Western setting. Um, so these guys all very tough. Like the fact that these they're 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 descending into hell. Like that's another thing I love about the movie is you're watching a Western, even though early on he's prepared you for the fact that, hey, this is a horror movie, just so you know. Uh, and then we leave that for a while. We meet these people and we watch them gradually ride into a horror movie. Yeah. But they're tough enough to deal with it in that, uh, you know, they're, 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 they buck up under it 
Nobody like runs away. And, and one of my favorite lines is actually delivered twice. And it's in response to somebody getting hurt. And it's how they respond to the injury with the line, tie it off. <laughs> like when, when Matthew Fox gets his hand chopped off, he's like, would you help me tie this off? When Kurt Russell gets his hand smashed because he's trying to break out when they're going to kill the, the deputy, he's, he's with chicory, help me tie this off. Doesn't get tied, it doesn't, it's not smashed. His fingers are cut off, right? Oh, that's even worse. Uh, yeah. he's, he's grabbing the thing, and, and I think they actually cut his fingers off. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why you would tie something off, I guess, is because right. it's burning blood, yeah. So I just, I just love that toughness and that insight into how they respond to these grievous injuries. It's, it's the tough guy equivalent, you know, the mortal wound equivalent of telling someone, hey, walk it off. Right, yeah. right. And, and the old West. What's great is that uh, Matthew Fox's character says, you know, I'm, I'm too vain to live as a cripple. I mean, that comes right after him telling him, telling him to tie it off. And, and you, I, I kind of wonder, Ding, it's like, does he basically just know they're going to die at that point? Like, is, is that just a way of him to sort of bluster about, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice myself and take out as many of them as I can. Uh, like, I get the sense that he knows they're going to die, and he's just going to do the best he can at this moment. Like, I don't think he's really too vain. To, I mean, he's vain, of course, but I don't think he really wants to die because he's going to be a cripple. Well, no, I, I think knows, he's resigned. I think yeah, you're at right. This point, yeah. He knows they're going to die, and he's going to do the best he can to help them. It's this super noble sacrifice. Like, it's a great moment. Uh, right, and I think that to the movie's credit, there's no dynamite ex machina ha- that happens. Oh, I know. He fails. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. go off. Yeah, yeah. And I even thought that maybe uh, Patrick Wilson's character would find the dynamite, yeah. bring it up yeah. to the cave, and there would be this whole explosion thing that happened. But nothing happens. No- nothing ever comes to the dynamite. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin, so, what, of, uh, yeah. Sorry, what, what is your uh, second? Oh, no, Dingus, we're, we're up to you. I already did my second. It's the uh, you'll hear it soon. Right, so we're up to. What's I your second? I did my one. second, so we're up to your number one. Yeah. Uh, All right, so my number one then um, is another uh, Richard Jenkins line, uh, and I could have done a whole, I could have done a whole three by three of just his lines, uh, because I loved almost everything he did in this movie, uh, and so many of his lines were so great, but they're uh, they're sandwiched. Um, and this is this is a line that is again another um, relationship oriented line, and it's not just a relationship with uh, his wife, his former wife, uh, his wife who's dead, uh, but also uh, a relationship with somebody on his posse right now and how he's trying to help him. And the line is this: My wife used to call me a dumb imbecile all the time. Felt kind of nice. Yeah. And so the felt kind of nice thing is because Patrick Wilson has just apologized for t- calling him a dumb imbecile, and and he's making him feel better about that. It's just such a beautiful little sensitive moment that this guy who has been a surgeon in the war, who has had to cut off people's limbs and might very well have to do that for this particular man, uh, is is saying is making him feel better about it when he's just disarmed him. There's this there's this amazing interplay in that whole sequence where 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 first um, 
I forget Matthew Fox's character's name, Broder. Broder, Broder John Broder. 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 Yeah, Broder. Broder. Looking with the German, and, and he sees, oh, there's a snake. And it's a dead snake now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they figure out what's going on, and already uh, Chicory's been saying, I, I, you know, I, I feel weird about what that dude is doing over there. And then... Um, and then the sheriff says, "Go over there," and says to Broder, "Don't get him. Go, don't get in the middle of this." And and he has to, and Chicory has to go up behind Patrick Wilson's character yeah. and and steal his gun from him. And he feels bad about that. And he because it's unmanning him. You also know that that's kind of a system because they try to do the same thing with David right. Arquette. Is that he's got around back behind David Arquette? It's like when cops pull you over. You know, one cop comes into the window and the other one's at the other side of the the car. You know, kind of ready to be backup. Is it seems right. like they got this system going where the backup deputy gets around behind the the perpetrator, the suspect. Yeah, yeah. exactly right, exactly right. But he still feels bad about it because he's when you take a man's gun, you're taking you're taking his dick away. Basically, you're uh, you're unmanning him. Yeah, and he gives it back to him, and then uh, Patrick Wilson apologizes to him because he's a man of God and he feels bad about it. And then his response is, and my wife used to call me that too. It felt kind of nice to hear it again. I mean, it's just such beautifully, but it's so it's it's much more sparely said than what I just said. All he says is felt kind of nice. It's beautiful. I mean, that is beautiful poetic language. There's there's almost no other way I can put it. I, I I'm knocked out by the poetic language in this movie. Kelly Wan, do do you remember where the German came from? Germany. Mm, can you be more specific? Hamburg. Are you just saying that because you live there? That's why I think you're asking me. <laughs> yeah, he does say, he does, when uh, Chicory is like, can I use the German? Uh, uh, Bruder says, uh, if you drop it, are you going to go back to Hamburg and get me another yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you definitely got it in Hamburg. See, no one wants to go to Hamburg. That's <laughs> what, I, what I love for me is when whenever, when he finally lets them use the German, I was so worried about each of them dropping it. I was so nervous yeah, about right. them dropping it. It's like uh, the car in Ferris Bueller. Okay. <laughs> the Ferrari. Very good. Carrie Wan, what's your favorite line in Bone, Tom- Bone Tomahawk? This is why frontier life is so hard. It's not the conditions. It's not Indians. It's the idiots. I don't I like remember that line. It's not the Indians. What? It, it's actually not the Indians, not the elements. It's the idiots. That's not the elements. Oh, wait, wait. When is that line? Kelly Wan, explain. Lily Simmons says it after... They're all caged, and she's all. Oh, right, right. Wait, Why did you come? What? Where's right? Yeah. Yeah. Then they're all. Well, don't worry. Patrick Wilson's still out there, and she goes. Oh, with right, the because flag. he. Because they're. And she goes upset that they've told Patrick Wilson where to find him. Yeah. Right. She goes. Right. Wait, you led the. So you're leading. You lead him here, and they're all. Yeah, he's gonna figure it out. Who's got this? And she's like, okay, so it's one v seven, and then she. <laughs> And then they, I don't know. There was a Kurt Russell line that I had as a tie, but I guess. Well, you know what? Hold no, that's it's great because uh, the yeah. interplay between the three of them and the way they play that scene, because yeah, you know, Richard Jenkins is like, oh no, no, he'll get here. Don't worry about it. And Kurt yeah. Russell then tries to pull back a little bit, uh, and then she says, you know. Uh, my husband was an idiot too for going on the roof when I told him not to. All of you are right. idiots. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that line as well, Kelly. 
But then a couple of minutes later, when Chicory is talking about the flea circus, she kind of like says, oh, yeah, that was probably a real flea circus. And she and Kurt Russell exchange this look yeah. like, yeah, let's leave him. So it's like the girl of the cast is actually like helping. Support. Well, isn't that after uh, the conversation where Chicory is like, why would you tell him the cavalry was coming? Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, if I was in that situation, I'd want I'd want someone to tell me that, too. She's right. kind of acting on that. She's it's, doing that. Yeah. yeah, she's wanting to to do what she can to, to although I guess it doesn't imply that he's going to be avenged, but to just like make him feel better about something. Yeah, yeah. they think they're all going to be it's, yeah. what, it's, it's what yeah. you want to hear before you die. Yeah, yeah. And it's after they all pretty much given up on the play, and they're but, all just hoping. But it's also this this idea of you know this wife of his who called him an imbecile while his wife, but he, but he still loves her. Uh, and he finally gets, okay, I have one thing that I was right about at the end of my life. I mean, there's a beautiful little moment there where that she gives him, she gifts him that. And then there's this pathetic moment where he tries to do for Kurt Russell what Kurt Russell did for Nick. And it was like, we will avenge you, don't worry. And he just sounds so ineffectual at it. It's so sad. He's trying, yeah. He tried. So a similar moment, this is said to Matthew Fox before uh, they know he's going to die, and it's Kurt Russell. It's kind of in a way, if I had to like pick one line that embodied the movie, that sort of expressed what I think the movie might have been trying to get at, it would be what Kurt Russell tells Matthew Fox when they leave him with the dynamite, uh, they know he's going to die, Matthew Fox knows he's going to die. Kurt Russell says to him very, very intently, we'll make sure all this has value. Yeah, like basically not that you're going to be avenged, but just whatever we do, this this won't be a wasted death, uh, because there's obviously this sense. And Kelly Wand, I know you hate redemption. It seems like the movie does as well in that it doesn't want to be too obvious about it. But you have to wonder, why does a guy like John Broder, who's killed 116 Indians, you know, what is he looking for that he's helping these guys? Is it, is it really just because he's a good Indian killer? Does he feel bad about it? Um, you know what? Is there any value to all this this terrible stuff that he has done? Um, you know, he's an immoral man who just immediately kill a couple of Mexicans, even though he's right, but because he suspects they're part of a raiding party. Uh, right. So I love this idea that Kurt Russell says to him, you know, not the simple thing, you'll be avenged, but we'll make sure this all has value. Whatever that means, whatever value or redemption might be able to come from it, um, you know, Kurt Russell sort of swears that to him. Uh, let's see what the readers have. Well, to wait. Say. Yep, Before yep. you move on, what does that line call to mind for you from another movie? Stay alive, and I'll find you. Is it Earn This? Yeah, it, it no. immediately called to mind Earn This. And oh, oh my I, God! Because I was being facetious. Why do you say that? Because I think that that's what Tom Hanks is saying, at, or or what they're saying at that moment in uh, in Saving Private Ryan. But, but why <laughs> this movie? understands that line in that movie oh, oh right 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 uh, so so when he says uh we'll make sure all this has value it, it reminds me of that earn this moment and why this moment is so much more mature and so much more meaningful i loved that moment but it immediately made me think of how crappy that moment was in saving prayer yeah, yeah falcon hoof writes uh by the way, uh, I did not obviously his real name. Uh, if you Google Falcon Hoof on YouTube and he posted a link, I spent about an hour watching these YouTube videos of a Scottish comic named Brian Limond uh, playing a character named Falcon Hoof. Kelly, did you, did you follow that link? Do you know who the real Falcon Hoof is now? 
No, I thought it was his real name. No, you of all you of all people would appreciate the Falcon Hoof sketches. Falcon Hoof that uh, hey. Brian Lemond has done for a, a, a sketch comedy show that aired in Scotland. Yeah, is he a comedy? Wait, is that the guy who wrote us? No, I don't think so. Or he's uh, just a fan of that. Uh, I do not know. I assume he's a fan. I, I don't know if uh, it was Brian Lemond himself. Who knows? Um, but there's a show called The Lemmy Show. I think that's his nickname. And Falcon Hoof is a series of sketches he's done that you of all people would appreciate. Okay, I'll check it out. All right. So Falcon Hoof, I don't know the real one or not, writes, he was freaking blown away by this movie. Um, th- wait, I can't tell what he's writing. Uh, okay, I'm just going to go down to his picks because it looks like there's something he's wanting me to read in a Kelly Wand draw. I'm incapable of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go to his picks. Number three. I'm not thinking of tibias right now. <laughs> Very nice from the sex scene. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. How's, number, your How's your tibia? Yeah, I'm not thinking of tibias right now. Number two, and I love this exchange too. Uh, many women invite me over for dessert. I, I love that Richard Jenkins thinks that he really scored one. It's it's during the married uh, smart men don't get married, and Richard Jenkins really scored thinks that he scored one chicory when he says. Yeah, well, I bet no woman would want you, or no woman wanted you. It's the equivalent of that bit with David Spade and uh, and Chris Farley. Your head is a candy shell. Yeah, it's after he says, you know, smart men don't get married, and then then there's a beat, and there's a beat, and there's a beat. Right, right. (laughs) It takes a while to think it up, and he's so pleased with himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then I'm far too vain to live as a cripple. Sounds like Falcon Hoof was really uh it was really into the John Bruder character. Yeah. Uh he has a bunch of honorable mentions, but in the in the event that he is going to scoop someone, I'm gonna skip them over. You only get in a situation like this, we're only gonna give you three picks, I'm afraid. And then he writes Oh, I'm already ahead of you here, Falcon Hoof. He writes, Tom Kelly and Dingus, do yourself a favor and Google search uh it's the the Falcon Hoof sketches. He says it's time well wasted, which I can attest to. All right. Uh, David Boutroid writes, long-time listener, first-time email. Thank you, David. We love hearing from first-time uh, writers. Um, after the paltry number of submissions last week, I don't know if Smith to write paltry or if that was a pun. Last week was all right, I thought. Is it a paltry number, though? Uh, he thought paltry. he would check uh, chuck in his two pence. Get it? Paltry, oh. Chuck? What was, what was the chicken relation to last week's three-by-three? Three? Well, nothing, but he said Chuck. It sounds like chicken. Mm, okay. <laughs> Get it. David, you got Kelly Wan batting for you for uh, your pun work. Uh, number three. I guess that was a foul play on my part. <laughs> um, wait a minute. He's picking from movies that aren't Last Tomahawk. Let's see. He's picked last, a line from... Last Tomahawk. Tomahawk. No, Bone Tomahawk. Well, he's picked a line from... Quigley Down Under, Indiana yeah. Jones and the Last Crusade, in Jurassic Park. Mm. Uh, Dave, I'm not sure. And then he writes why he picks them. Uh, Dave, I appreciate these lines, but I don't know how they relate to Bone Tomahawk. Um, Wait, read one. And then we'll, figure well, it out. Let's, we'll just go to his number one. Mr. Hammond, the phones aren't working from Jurassic Park. Anyone who has the slightest appreciation of the Crustaceous period was rocked when the egregiously named Jurassic Park was released. Containing our favorite... Well, I'm just... Cretaceous. Yeah, I'm just reading it wrong. Oh, that Uh, was you? Containing our... (laughs) Containing our favorite... Sorry, listener. 
Cretaceous creatures courageously fighting for survival in a world gone mad. Yeah. I don't know Wait, what that what's that got to do? I don't see the connection either. Hey, Tom doesn't either, that. and you made him read it. So yeah, thanks, Kelly. All right. Well, I just, you know, make uh, sure. David, uh, in, the wor- in the immortal words of uh, Damon Lindelof's script from Prometheus, try harder. Greg well, Woods writes. I, that was he's the first time writer, so no, no, I know. tries to understand. Right, I want. I wanted to give you grief because anytime we say try hard, try harder, that's a reference to you not knowing what was going on in Prometheus. <laughs> I still and think I, I was right, and I do you, want uh, you David. Still are wrong. And I want David Boutroyd to, to write us to send in another three by three. Greg Woods writes. Thank you, Tom, for recommending this movie. And he yeah. writes it in that voice too. Uh, he hadn't heard anything about it until uh, a review I posted. It has my favorite performances of all the actors in it, from Kurt Russell to David Arquette, who had a magnificent scene in the bar together. Yes, they did. And I must mention Matthew Fox, who I never really cared for in any of his other roles, but thoroughly enjoyed as the killer dandy. Too smart to get married. Jenny Simmons in Street Detective. That's my favorite one by her, but go on, yeah. Uh, the standout performance, he says, is Richard Jenkins' Chicory. Uh, when I heard you were doing a favorite, three by, threes by three of favorite quotes, the three that came to mind were all from Chicory. He mentions a few of them that I don't think he's picked. So, uh, Greg, I'm going to skip down to your picks. Uh, number three. Oh, God, yes. Say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to you. Hello yours. to yours. Uh, and he writes, Jesus stomping grapes. That gets me every time. That's not Chicory's quote. No, no, I know. He's, he, he lists a bunch of Chicory quotes and then says, but I'm not going to oh. do that. Instead, I'm picking these oh, quotes. Right, yeah. And I'm not going to read his Chicory quotes because I'll leave that to people who picked those. Right. So his number three is that that uh, really affecting line. Yep. Uh, number two, have a talk with Mr. O'Dwyer. Hmm. I love this line for all that it implies about what will happen after the movie ends. It didn't sink in until I'd watched it a few times, though. Right. So, okay. Sheriff Hunt is done for and asks Chicory to talk to O'Dwyer. About what? He wants O'Dwyer to replace him as town sheriff. He has Mm. seen him to be a good and fair man with a bum leg and would do well to be home with his insanely hot wife, Greg notes. Um, And how can he refuse the final wish of a man who died rescuing her? O'Dwyer will become the next sheriff of Bright Hope. Oh, that's awesome, Greg. That's a great call. That's a great call. Yeah, I like that. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, I'll make sure you're avenged. I'll make sure. Comic and tragic at the same time, it's an empty promise from a kind heart. Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, yeah, old chicory. It's like Dingus mentioned this. Old chicory can't actually avenge the sheriff. About to meet a horrifying, gruesome death. But recalling his earlier conversation with Deputy Nick was killed and field dressed, he tried to offer his friend what relief he could. Heartbreaking. Mm. Uh, I've been spreading the word about this movie. Greg writes as much as I can, and everyone who sees it loves it. Thanks again. Uh, I, have a, I have a weird confession to make. Yes. When Deputy Nick is being eviscerated, uh, this is one of two movies where I actually felt like I had to throw up, and this is one of one movies where I actually did throw up. Wow, I think it's weird. Uh, It's it's so unbelievably. I mean, it's it's an amazing movie, but it just it took it took me. The the thing about that, I mean, it's a gross effect, but the thing about that that really gets me, I mean, it's a horrific scene, and it's not like it's not just enough to. 
to, to kill him and put him in incredible pain before they kill him. There's just so much humiliation involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, him being stripped, uh, and not just the scalping, but but it's having a scalp shoved into his mouth, and then the extra grotesqueness of having it crammed in deeper with a like a bone dagger. Right. Yeah. That just that is horrifying. Uh, and then yeah, of course the splitting in half. But my God, just to humiliate that poor guy who does this incredibly noble thing beforehand. By saying yes, you know that you were right about that drifter. You made the right call. You know, give the. I think he's, he tells him to give his possessions to. I forget his oh, brother, right. whatever. Yeah. Um, and then to have this just pain and humiliation and grotesque death visited upon this poor guy. Yeah, it's just a horrific scene. And in most movies, that happens to like a character like the lawyer in Jurassic Park, like oh, he finally got his, or yeah. like Mister Fantastic in San Andreas. But this guy didn't have that coming at all. Yeah, so that's what just, for. yeah he's checkers, and then he's like, oh no, you're looking at it from my side of the board. Oh, it is that. Oh god, that is that guy. I didn't. Oh, dingus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon Esters writes. I hope you appreciated. I resisted the urge to turn this mail into a mini movie club Palooza entry. Which, by the way, that was some of my thinking. Is you guys for like kind of what we did. Se- several months got to like force each other to see movies, and I was like, "Well, this one's good enough. I want in on it." Because neither of you jerks has seen Victoria or Z for Zachariah yet, so I had to make sure you saw Bone Tomahawk. Uh, at any rate, Simon says I resisted the movie to turn into a mini movie club Palooza entry. Uh, he said I was mostly afraid the three by three sheriff would be a bit more hands on with his delivery of frontier justice. <laughs> it's me. Uh, so far, no violations. I'm the chicory. Uh, in turn, I appreciate that you presumably managed to sit through the entirety of Spectre. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, Simon. None of us got up and left, I'm afraid. All right, so number three, Simon. Uh, I don't know what kind of hearing fleas have or if they can hear kindness in your voice the way <laughs> dogs can. I don't think the scene in which this line was said actually works mostly because Lily Simmons doesn't get to do enough in the movie to earn being the other major part of that moment. But, Simon writes, I'll be damned if Richard Jenkins doesn't try his hardest to sell it. How about about when he says they drink dog's blood? So maybe. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, dogs can can hear human kindness and fleas drink dog's blood. So maybe. I love that. It's like warm bodies. Oh, guys. Because you eat the brain and you remember the thing. Ugh, Kelly Lott. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. Simon, Esther's, uh, Simon Esder's number two pick. It's the exchange we mentioned before. Are any of you somnambulous? That's private. He means sleepwalk. Oh. <laughs> and he writes, I don't think I need to justify that pick. Uh, and Simon Esder's number one pick is... Uh, yeah, this is great as far as the setup. Uh, they're not my kind. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals that rape and eat their own mothers. <laughs> I picked this one partially so this wouldn't turn exclusively into a chicory appreciation mail, and partially because, while I still can't decide whether attempting to circumnavigate the problematic area of making a tribe of Native Americans your horror movie monsters by stating that it's okay, since all the other Native Americans think their bad news as well is bold or just boldly stupid, I still appreciate the effort, Simon Esters writes. But they're not Native Americans. Uh, yeah, they are. Dingus. I mean, they're they're in the same sense that, that that Navajo or Cherokee are. I mean, why do you say they're not Native Americans? Because they're referred to as ancients. I mean, I think it's. I think there's an idea that they're they're from another. Troglodytes. 
I, I don't, I don't know what I would if I would prefer, uh, but I think they're ancients. I think there's there's some there's an otherness to them. I don't I don't know. I've uh, read other things along these lines, but I think it's silly personally. Like I just think it's just a, that kind of movie. It's like a Robert E. Howard kind of you know pulp. There, there is something, yeah, sort of uh, like weird. Rules. Well, they they do play them as if they're like definitely monsters, but but part of what I wonder about um, is that this is how you, you know the the terrible things that we did to the Native Americans is we had to think about yeah. them in this way to do that. So what right. this movie is doing, and it's a little subversive. Exonerating, yeah. No, no, not exonerating. What it's doing, it's a little subversive, is making the audience look at these troglodytes the same way that these people would look at Native Americans. Um, the same way that we felt to justify doing what we did to Native Americans. Now, these troglodytes obviously are terrible, horrible people. Fortunately, there's only like 13 of them. Um, right. But this was how native americans were seen as as subhuman as people who would do uh, terrible unchristian things like hack off the limbs of women and impregnate them and leave them there like this is what we believed about native american tribes and their civilizations and their cultures that it wasn't a civilization it was not a culture it was people living in these godforsaken teepees you know who would do that that's that's no civilization there um so I think it's a little subversive is rather than being a movie like in The Searchers, for instance, when John Wayne goes to get Natalie Woods back and he wants to kill her because she has uh, intermingled with the, these Indians for so long as a modern audience and even an audience probably in the 50s. That makes no sense. We're like, whoa, John Wayne, why do you want to do that? That's crazy. She's still the same woman. You know, Native Americans aren't that bad. We just misunderstood them back there. Um this, this movie is rather than have Native Americans that we have a progressive modern perspective on now. Uh, you know, we are no longer ignorant about them. It creates this new group of people that we can feel about the way people felt about Native Americans back then. Which I like. And it's in keeping with, I mean, it's just an internal mythos of the movie, too. Like, it opens with Sid Haig and, the, and Buddy, like, killing those other guys. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, this is a movie where it's just like a cutthroat kind of society yeah that it's definitely brutal and stuff but that even these troglodytes who have presumably cut out their own larynxes and inserted like little bone whistles um right you know they're, they're, even below, they're even below the level of brutality of uh sid haig and, and uh, david arquette like they're a whole right. different uh, level. And they're borderline supernatural. They like have tons more body mass than they would have. I don't think there's any supernatural. Actually, so go yeah, ding it. Like I didn't. I don't think you need to have a supernatural. I don't think you have to imply anything supernatural here. No, I would By say the, superhuman. I wouldn't say supernatural. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I would see them as uh, as some sort of weird alien race or some sort of ancient race that's that's existed in these caves because the things they do. And the things that they're able to survive, I mean, you can't poke bones through your face and just run around and hope not to get infections or poke bones into the eyes of the women who are pregnant and hope that nothing's going to happen um, any more than Patrick Wilson's going to be able to survive gangrene. Uh, it's I, like Jack Ketchum. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's something there's something maybe extraterrestrial, but I wouldn't say supernatural. Okay, yeah, I would totally disagree. Like, I, yeah, I would even even that thing. It's like I, I feel that 
I, I don't know. You know what? I like that the movie doesn't explain who these guys yeah, are. There's never any exposition. Even the professor guy, he's like, they don't yeah. have a name. They don't talk. They're terrible. Like it's right. kind of like uh, the demon hunter in Paranormal Activity. He's like, eh, we can't understand what they are. I'm out of here. They're so terrible. Right. Like, yeah. Just have somebody give us a little bit like that. We don't need a bunch of detail. We can fill in those with with our own worst fears, our own political agendas, kind of the way I've done with this treatment of Native Americans. Dingus wants to think of them as being superhuman. Kelly Wan, if you want to posit some sort of supernaturalness, the movie's not going to tell you you're wrong, is it? Yeah. There's this well, sense when 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 different people shoot them, they don't die in certain ways that you would expect them to die. I mean, there's a moment where Patrick Wilson shoots one of them in the head. He doesn't die. And he's like, what? I mean, there's this weird thing that happens where you're not quite sure about their their physiology. Uh, when uh, When... Um, I think it's uh, Matthew Fox's character like pushes down the chest of the one of them like water spurts out instead of blood. I mean, oh, well, I is... think what that is, Ding, is is it's the air. It's showing oh, okay. that they've they've dug out their larynxes and have those little oh. bone whistles in there, and right. it's demonstrating that there's something weird about his his throat. Huh? But you know, to Ding, to, to get kind of what you're saying, Dingus, and, and Kelly Wan, this is also sort of applied to what you're saying. Um, Clearly, they're supposed to be the other yeah. in the conventional sense of there's us and there's them, us being humans, them being something other. Um, and I know that, that Craig Zoller plays with that in a, in a very subtle way that is one of the things I love about this movie, and it's a certain bit of sound design that I noticed that – I don't know if this is in other movies now. Um, footfalls are a huge part of this movie yeah. in that early on – there's a lot of like boots on wooden floors that I would think would drive a, a, a sound guy crazy. Like you know, we're, we're getting too much like footfall noise. It's going to cover the dialogue. Let's let's fix this. Craig Zoller doesn't want to do that. There's a lot of boots on floors, and it sounds awesome. Later on, the the hoof, you know, that that's a great part of a horse riding sequence is the the clomping of the hoofs of the horses. Uh, when you hear these guys walk around. It's like a T-Rex thing. It's like a dinosaur. It's like a clunk, clunk, clunk. And he's clearly doing some sound design that says there's something different than human beings in civilization walking on, you know, walking their boots on wood. This is a completely different sound effect. Um, so does that get to them being extraterrestrial? Does it get to there some, being something supernatural about them? Do they just have a heavy footfall? But whatever the case, he clearly want, does this subtle thing to set them apart physically for how they touch the earth i think yeah just like native americans there's even a moment early on where david arquette and that and i forget who the actor is that awesome sid, guy sid haig so dingus if you'd watched more horror movies sid haig has been around forever i love that yeah, i keep saying to him just concentrate on the task uh, when they're walking along one of them says is that us or is that us yeah they're talking about their footsteps and then you you Oh, yeah. that that later moment where the guy's sweeping the floor and the that steps those steps on the boards are are so loud, but that moment when they're walking through that canyon, he goes, "Is that us?" I love that moment. Uh, Nick D writes, "Thanks for getting me to watch this. I thought it was fantastic, although perhaps about twenty minutes too long." Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Nick writes, "My favorite quotes, though. My number three is more of an exchange." Oh, Dings, here you go. Purvis said, Purvis, that's his name. Purvis says, did you hear that? But he says, it's a gust. Purvis says, that's a real musical gust. But he says, and? Purvis says, it's ominous. 
But he says, and I love this line, this is not the time for womanly imaginings. <laughs> Nick, that, was, that was the line I was going to give to Kelly after the podcast, but I'm glad that Dick D superseded it. I think that, yeah, we could we could use that against Kelly quite a bit, Dingus. Yeah. Keep, keep hey! That, Dingus, keep that in the chamber. All right. Uh, the number two from Nick D., Chicory saying, oh, boy, it smells good now that I know it's not supposed to be tea. <laughs> Adorable. Uh, there's there's a line – I'm sorry. Right after the that thing that Nick just said, uh, uh, there's this thing that David Arquette says where if that was a gust, then it must have learned an instrument. Yes, yes. That's uh, good. Fuck, there's so many lines. Uh, Nick D's start. number one pick, uh, and this is one of you guys' picks. Uh, Kelly, one your favorite pick? This is why frontier life is so difficult, not because of the Indians or the elements, but because of the idiots. <laughs> it's why life is so difficult, would be my response. Exactly right. There's no need to restrict that to frontier life. Sure. <laughs> yeah. See, we're perfect together. Joey Brimhall. Once again, if we had if we had like a villainous lair, it would be in Brimhall. The Court yeah. of Three podcast writes, WTF, how about giving us a little warning that this movie has one of the most horrific death scenes in recent memory? That's then, spoil it. He then writes, Kurt Russell needs more roles. He was great in this movie, yes. And his one submission is, again, uh, such, it hits hard. Say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to yours. Uh, Arthur Giovanginelli writes, number three, it was run by these two European men, and they were brothers, possibly identical twins, but one was about a foot taller than the other. Might disqualify them. <laughs> That's awesome. Anderson's. Oh, I love this one, too. Uh, inspect your firearms. We've been spotted. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the, these, these great, like, you know, yeah, in a dopey ones. movie, it would be like, we're going in, or yeah. or, or stay frosty. <laughs> it would be some stupid-ass yeah. thing like that. It's something like inspect your firearms. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and then Arthur Giovanginelli's number one. Most flea circuses employ tricks, but the Sandersons employ real living fleas. <laughs> Chris Hornbostel, whose subject is Just Get On With The Task. Very good. <laughs> Writes, hello, QT3 Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for giving me that last little push to watch this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully, my three favorite movie lines don't have too much overlap with those already mentioned. Uh, no, no overlap, Chris. You'll be glad to know. Number uh. three, Sheriff Hunt's line. Oh, yeah, this is so great. And this is an exchange that we just touched on, but nobody picked a line from it. You sure are angry for a guy named Buddy. <laughs> the line itself is just funny, and the character Hunt knows it's funny and clever when he says it. But, oh, here we go. But I love the way Kurt Russell says Buddy here. His voice yeah. is full of contempt, derived from his own mistrust of a criminal. It lets us see in this early scene that Sheriff Hunt is a very smart and effective sheriff and not one to be trifled with. Right. Uh. Number two. Uh. Mr. Bruder just educated two Mexicans on the meaning of manifest destiny. <laughs> it's a pretty brutal line, and although there's a sort of shock aspect to us, to it, it reveals that maybe Chicory isn't just a crazy old coot, too. We see later some of the reasons Sheriff Hunt keeps him around, like the leg surgery. But this is him revealing in a sort of world-weary, wry, revealing a world-weary, wry wisdom and awareness. Jesus. Right. Does he also ask whether he taught his horse about bigotry? Yes, yes, Dingus. Very good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, when he says, uh, uh, old Sadie wouldn't let a greaser on her back. Or, yeah, yeah, I yeah. taught her better than that. 
right, Dingus. Yeah, there is definitely it implies that this he's a lot smarter than you would guess. He lo- he knows is a lot more weird worldly than you would guess. Yeah. It also sort of diffuses the racism charge about the troglodytes, really, because it's like this is like a, just a day in their lives kind of thing. Well, but but see the the fact that uh, I mean it, it's basically uh, Chicory responding to Bruder characterizing these Mexicans who he just shoots on sight as as greasers. Right. Right. I think it's Chicory basically thinking that that's distasteful. Um, right. Especially because uh, they have a cross on them. Oh right, right, right. You know who else is wearing a cross? Yeah, Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and well, he's he's constantly saying, "Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this?" I mean, he's a man of God, and he says sorry when he when he curses God, right, right. evidently. And and but he says two times, "Are you seeing this?" Yeah. Uh, Chris's number one pick, and this is this is awesome. Now that is not a handsome horse. <laughs> I love, I love that line. Yeah. Damn, is every line in this movie great? I know. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, Chris says, I love this line most of all for what it says about this movie. It's perfectly in character for Bruder to say it, and it's perfectly in character for the line to apply to Chicory's horse. But what I really like is how this line, about a third of the way in, provides confirmation that this is no ordinary Western. I've never seen a Western where the good guys ride out on horses that don't look beautiful, right. that don't look as if they could be running the Kentucky Derby. Not here, though. Chicory rides a sway-backed animal that completely fits his character and makes you realize that whomever wrote the script, that would be Craig Zoller, who also directed it, is interested with playing around with conventions. Thanks for introducing me to this film. I've enjoyed it as much as any I've seen this year. That's right. I also noticed the horse they give John Bruder is this all-white horse, much like he's dressed all in white. Right. Yeah. Uh, Runners-up, gentlemen. I mean, you, you know what? We could just read the whole script. We could yeah. talk all night about Runners Up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. The only one waves my tie for the number one is where um, uh, Kurt Russell's a goner, and they're all, "Hey, are you sure you're not?" Or Trigger goes, "You sure you're not going to make it?" And he's all, "I am." Like he kind of, but he's all raspy. Yeah. But I like that I am a lot. Like that formality, even in extremists. Uh, okay. So it was like you do. Th- I think you do think that Chicory is going to get killed. How did you guys feel about like who lives and who dies? Mostly relieved. I thought it was going to be worse than that. Um, but it makes me. I just. I'm bummed this movie didn't get a really wide release because I would have wanted to see this with a big audience of people. There are. I mean, it is a little. Just. I mean, it isn't. It isn't a wide release movie. I mean, it doesn't look like that. Well, that's the thing. I don't is know because, why not. Well, I'll tell you why not. Because yeah. it is. It looks like the objective Western. more than more than. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to saddle it with the with the type Get of. It. No, with the type of uh, with the type of cinematography that the, that the objective has, but it it is a little more banshee chapter than than something that would be more mainstream. I'm afraid. It, it's the thing is, it's not just a genre movie. It's two genre movies. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna confound people who want a straight up horror movie, and it's gonna confound people who want a straight up western. It's a movie for guys like us who see a bazillion movies and want to see something new and different with it, with a unique flavor. And those kind of things don't make a lot of money. They don't appeal to middle America. You know, they're limited releases that you put in New York and L.A. 
whatever, and then you make it available online, video on demand for the people for word of mouth to basically get people. Like to we're it. doing. Like and we're they're doing. like, oh look, Kurt Russell's in this. Oh, yeah. that's weird. Well, have you seen that? Have you seen the artwork for like the posters? It's a big old picture of Kurt Russell, and Kurt there's Russell, cowboys yeah. under it. Yeah. Right. Uh, what do you guys? That's the thing is like if you. Like, if it had been a more mainstream movie, then maybe it would have sucked more. Like, they would have gone, hey, can you get rid of all this 15 minutes of relationship shit at the beginning? This can't be a mainstream movie. It's not a mainstream movie. It's, no, it's I know. I just, too I'm brutal. Sometimes. When funny, I live in a world where Spectre is on every screen and Bone Tomahawk, I have to, like, search for. The funny thing is that Bone Tomahawk, the script, Zoller wrote this back in, like, 2007. The script has been bouncing around for a while. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard was originally in the, the Patrick Wilson part. Uh, they had Jim Broadbent mm-hmm. cast for a while as Chick um, so this has been a project that's been up and down and up and down, and I think partly because you know the money, the talent, the scheduling, people have to change or they get gun shy about how much support. Um, and it ended up being, you know, to its benefit. This is a movie that shows you what you can do just with a good script and a good cast. Right. You don't need a huge crazy production. You know, this was shot for three weeks in the hills above Malibu. And that's it. They just got these actors, yeah. and it kind of looks like it, and that's okay. Yeah. It's not the a town- John Ford sweeping yeah. thing that has to shoot in, in the desert in Arizona or whatever. But um, how do you get like how do you get these people to show up? How do you get Sean Young to show up? I know, right? I know. That is hilarious. Well, Sean Young, I can't imagine it's that difficult to get to show yeah, up. Yeah, that's an easier one. Did you know that the uh, that, that was Michael Perret? Yeah, was, yeah, that was it. Mr. Wilson, the guy who's like, if if you ask me about horses again, I'm going to slap you red. Yeah, exactly. Was, this, they got Michael uh, Perret to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hilarious. That. That's what I mean. I mean, it might, it's not going to be that hard to get Sean Young to show up for something, but how do you get her and Michael Perret and everybody else to do this? You know, Dingus, I wonder if this is made possible by like all the stories about. Uh, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Like, uh-huh. is Craig Zoller, like, hey, there's this great script. The talent is interested. We've got a great cast. And, and I think there's a model for something like this can go somewhere. You know, Reservoir yeah. Dogs, this is an example of a movie like that. Uh, the trick's the great script part. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and it doesn't matter that it's not going to be very marketable. It's just like a great script. Uh, yeah. Well, it all worked out. Because everyone, it's a pretty beloved movie critically. Yeah, yeah. From what I've seen, so. Uh, and I do think if you do like, like if you responded to the the horror part of this and the horrificness of it, it's a horror movie. Craig Zoller's previous project is a straight up horror movie. He didn't direct it. A, a, a French fellow directed it, who I don't recognize his name. Um, is called Asylum Blackout. Kelly, one, have you heard of this movie? Uh, does it have a colon? Uh, no, I don't think it does. It's just one phrase. And can you guess? What it, can you guess what it's about? It's about a mental hospital what where the electricity the goes out, exactly. and then one of the patients is a cop for some nope, reason. Nope. All the pa- there's nothing like that. It's just you. You should have stopped there. A mental hospital where the power goes out, mm. and what happens to the people in there? And it's just got this horrific like violence in it. Uh, is it good? I, I liked it. I mean, I don't know that it's just really right, good. What's kind of hilarious about it, uh, it's obviously supposed to be set like in the Pacific Northwest, but they filmed it in Belgium or something. So they've got all these actors with horrible accents pretending to be just like grunge types in, in Seattle or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't have anywhere near the talent that's in Bone Tomahawk, but there's some of the brutality, uh, none of the character building, but there's definitely some horrific stuff in it. 
All right, Dingus, what is next week's 3 by 3 for us? All right, well, I would love to uh, force you guys to give me your three favorite lyrics from Singing in the Rain. Um, I think instead I'm going to uh, go back to a more sort of conventional 3 by 3 topic, uh, inspired by Bone Tomahawk, which is a movie we just saw this week. Um, there are two signs I really love in Bone Tomahawk. Uh, one of them is just the sign for Bright Hope. It's this wooden sign that says Bright Hope, our population, and then it shows their population under it. And it's just this rough hewn sign that's sitting there. And the other one is the, uh, the sign that the piano player, who's played oh, right. by the actor named James Tolkien, um, and James Tolkien has been in a number of movies. Uh, I mean, you would know him as the principal from Back to the Future. You know him as uh, a dude from, um, oh, God, I can't even remember right now. Uh, but I've seen him, and he's he's been in a ton of stuff. He's been in uh, Back to the Future. He was in um, oh, uh, Top Gun. Sorry, He was one of the guys. Oh, Top right, right. Yeah, he's like the second-in-command type guy. Yeah, I can totally right, see right. him, yeah. He might even be. I don't know if he or Michael Michael Ironside says your your body's writing check, your ego's writing checks, your body can't cash. One of the you know James Tolkien is one of those kinds of hard ass guys. And when he's at the piano, he he flips the sign um, from the 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 numbers that you're supposed to pay for each particular song um, that uh, Matthew Fox you know, contends with him on to uh, starting fee one drink. Which I love that sign. I love the way that sign flips over and then he points to it after after he's done the haggling. So I love the signs, that sign and that other sign. I'm thinking mostly of road signs, um, but those types of, of of written signs and road signs in movies. That's a good one. I can think of some things. Yeah. Matter of fact, I already have a couple. All right, Dingus, very good. Dingus, what if our listeners have some ideas for this? If any listeners have any ideas, please send them to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at, uh, spell it out, quarter23.com. Kelly Wan, since we are uh, beholden to the release schedule of movies in Hamburg, Germany, what are we seeing next week? Thanks to the exciting uh, revolution in movies that's taking place in Hamburg movie theaters, everyone gets to see this week the motion picture Steve Jobs starring Ashton Kutcher. No. Huh. All right. Kelly One, people might see that. Are you sure that's what we're doing next week? I mean, Michael Fassbender's one. <laughs> the Ashton Kutcher one, I think, is just called Jobs, isn't it? Jobs. And the Danny Boyle one with Michael Fassbender is called Steve Jobs, right? Or do I have that backwards? No, that's right. Yeah. So we're seeing the Steve one. Don't see no. Jobs. Actually, maybe see Jobs. You know, maybe you're into that. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see Steve Jobs. We'll do a three by three of signs. We would love for you to participate. Join us next week for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined here by uh, Christian Minstlinski. It's Christian Moroski. And we had Kelly Wand. Smekta. Uh. <laughs> Ah, 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 ah,
Well, Dingus, uh, troglodytes, uh, let's kill them. Remember that one? <laughs> Nothing can Thanks be as her. painful as listening to me talk. Aw. Did you see what God just did to us, man? God didn't do that. You did it. You're a fucking narcotics agent. I knew it. Wait, that's from Toys?